Tune in to the Neil Prenderville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. So you call it double trouble, uh, two storms, as they say in the mirror this morning, batting down the hatches. Here comes Dudley and followed by Eunice. Uh, is the story making the front page of uh, the Echo today? The Examiner carried all of the red tops carried in quite some detail. And this was a uh, pension claim. You heard it in the news there. Uh, Don O'Callaghan from Churchfield Green conducted the largest and longest running known case of welfare fraud in the history of the state claiming the pensions of his dead parents. Now, uh, in total, uh, I believe it added up to something in the region of €527,000 was collected. It's a lengthy story, lads. I'll be returning to it with the journalist uh, Olivia Kelleher in a few minutes' time. Uh, Echoes front page, dead father's pension claim for 33 years. Uh, This morning, the mirror says, fraudster claimed his dead parents 527000 in pension uh, and indeed his own social welfare for a long, long time on top of all of that. So more on that in a few minutes' time. Independent this morning, uh, and I know that there was um, you know, some people handing out leaflets at, at schools um, uh, yesterday asking for the end of masks in schools. Well, it's going to come um, and it'll come not just for schools but for shops and on public transport as well. We're not sure when or you know how... Yeah, like, uh, you know, how they're going to announce it, but I guess there's going to be, a, apparently there is another NEFIT meeting this week, and at that stage, uh, they'll call it on masks in primary and secondary schools to end. Um, and even if it stops in, in shops as well, as it's likely to do, and mandatory on public transport, as it's likely to do. Michal Martin still people, wants people to wear masks on public transport. The problems in the CUH dominate uh, the echo today. Uh, and we hear of 81 people uh, admitted uh, awaiting an inpatient bed yesterday. That's very high. That is very, very high. And here we are in the middle of, um, in the middle of February. And I don't know, I imagine this is probably COVID related. Uh, and uh, hospital staff and medics and indeed the CUH themselves are asking people to look at alternative ways of treatment rather than just coming to the uh, A&D. I would love to hear from people who have stories to share regarding their experience at the A&D. You can WhatsApp your text again today. It's WhatsApp text to 0868 104-106. Um, talking of, of COVID-related issues, Djokovic makes many of the papers. He's saying that he'd rather miss the French, he'd rather miss Wimbledon than get the jab. He's an elite artist and he monitors every single thing that he puts into his body. So that's the story from the Mail today. But there is, of course, an update on the story of Jerry and Mary O'Halloran. And the examiner this morning says that Jerry dreads returning to his house, which was something that Mary told me on the air some days ago. In fact, Jerry wanted out of his home in Boyce Street for quite some time. This is to do, of course, with the horrific attack that the brother and sister went through at half past seven on Sunday morning. 1,800 euro taken from them. Um, of course, it's money and it's a lot of money, but it's the effects on them psychology, psychologically going forward, of course, is the big price that will have to be paid. And hopefully they'll make a full recovery and be able to pick up their life again. I have some updates on that, particularly with regards to just the kindness uh, of people a little later on this morning. Um, you don't need to meet the likes of me to tell you about fuel prices going up and up. I think, I think I heard somewhere that petrol prices in the UK yesterday actually dropped. Now, whether they're going to continue to drop, I do not know. Whether that will happen here or not, I do not know. Michael McGrath was telling me on the air that we wouldn't, on Friday, that we wouldn't have as many houses being built in Ireland if it wasn't for cuckoo funds. Nearly had a heart attack in the seat when he said that. But Pascal O'Donoghue is saying the same. He's actually saying that we need more international property funds or cuckoo funds or pension funds, not fewer. And it's the, it's the property funds, the international property funds that will solve the housing crisis. 
It's like it's like our politicians say, we can't do it, less. Will you do it instead? We can't do it. We can't handle this. Too much pressure. Too much stress. So they're giving it over. Apparently, the cuckoo funds are the ones that come up with the cash to build the housing estates. Yeah, but then the problem starts as to who actually gets to buy the houses in the housing estates built by the cuckoo funds. I'll tell you one thing. The Irish Times this morning are saying that the revenue are going to be asked to collect the television license fee. I'll tell you one thing. If revenue take over the collection of the television license, everyone will be paying a television license. Uh, there's another TV kind of story making the papers today. I don't know whether you watch Red Rock, the uh, soap uh, TV show. One of the actors, a musician, actor called uh, Stephen Mangan, he plays Garda Steve Quinn in the show, apparently, had his house absolutely torched. A horror blaze. I mention it because there's photographs of the result of the blaze of his home in the star today. How did it start? Well, by a phone left charging on a bed, on the bed. And you have to be so, so careful with charging things, particularly mobile phones and the types of cables that are being used. Andrew makes all of the papers. He is paying over to Virginia Giuffray 14 million euro, the equivalent of 14 million euro. He is also making a substantial donation as well to her charity, which champions victims' rights, but has not actually admitted to anything. Apparently, it was the Queen um, and Prince Charles that actually ordered Andrew to settle the case. And he has done, uh, struck an out-of-court deal with Virginia Giuffre. So all of the red tops, I think uh, Pierce Morgan calls him, um, uh, some, I think he calls him a miserable coward. The inside pages of the mirror this morning. Uh, but it, it, there was a statement then that was released by Andrew's legal team where they say that he accepts that Virginia Giuffre suffered both as an established victim of abuse and as a result of unfair public attacks. The statement went on to say, it is known that Jeffrey Epstein trafficked countless girls over many years. Prince Andrew regrets his association with Epstein and commends the bravery of Virginia Giuffre. That's it. No admission in any way, shape or form. Um, Alec Baldwin makes the papers as well because he's being sued now by the family of the woman who killed, who he killed on set with the gun. Um, and that's a story from the Mirror today. And, you know, isn't it, isn't it Amazon have the tillless, cashless, cardless shops, isn't it? You'd literally go in, take whatever you want and just walk out the door and it probably pings on your phone and is deducted from your bank account via your phone. We got our first one of those in Ireland. It's called Friction Free. It's above in Dublin where you can select purchases and leave without a till in sight. You don't get to take stuff for free, of course. You do pay, but there's not actually a transaction. Tato Park will be no more, but hold on a second. That's only in name. The park itself isn't going anywhere. And the mirror says today that Tato uh, have um, decided to end their sponsorship of the popular attraction. So they've got to come up with a new name and indeed a new sponsor. And you've pitied the poor fella who bought a miserable bouquet of flowers. They were miserable anyway, the flowers that he thought were flowers. But they actually turned out to be spring onions. So he brought her home. you got to wonder, is this real? Is this true? Or do people do this for publicity? But it's a husband um, who, I suppose, ended up crying because there were onions. He bought his wife spring onions instead of daffodils. Like, it's the little bunch of spring onions that you'd get in a supermarket for 99 cent kind of a thing. So who buys your wife a 99 cent um, confused even as he was bouquet of flowers? It's not even a bouquet of flowers. A bunch of daffodils turn out to be tearjerkers instead. So that's a story that makes the papers today. And as Lana said, um, there's a lot of truth in, in beauty being an awful lot more than just in the eye of the beholder. Apparently you're better off trying to find a good looking partner because they live longer. 
and they don't get sick as often as the um, maybe, I suppose, challenged in the looks department. So that's the reason why apparently women are probably attracted uh, to good-looking men. They, they, they say it's about the personality, you know, oh no, he makes me laugh, he's got a great personality. But deep down, us men know it's looks first, then laugh and personality. I'm open to correction on that from you ladies listening this morning, but apparently the healthier the partner, the longer the life they've had, they will have. And we're going to get our St. Patrick's Day parade, and there is a theme to the parade again this year. We didn't have it for a couple of years. We're going to have it back with a, a, like a longer St. Patrick's Festival, 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th. So it's the first one in two years, and the theme is Heroes, Ordinary People in Extraordinary Times. It's good to have it back. The Neil Prenderville Show. Okay, uh, straight to our phone lines we go. And I want to do this story now because the man in question, Don O'Callaghan, is back before court in about an hour's time for sentencing. I referenced Olivia Kelleher's uh, copy in many of the newspapers this morning. Four or five different papers are carrying her court report from yesterday of a man who fraudulently claimed the pensions of his dead parents for 33 years. It was the largest and longest running known case of welfare fraud in the history of the state. Known in the sense that maybe someone else is doing it and we don't know about it for even longer. But we do know about this because he pleaded guilty in court and Olivia joins me by phone. Olivia, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Where do we even begin on this? We need to... Where to begin? I suppose you'd begin by saying that um, you automatically, at the age of 100, get a congratulatory letter from the from the president and you get a cheque for two and a half grand. And that's what, when the alarm bells went off regarding Don, Don O'Callaghan's dad, wasn't it? That's it. That's what happened. Uh, basically, when Don O'Callaghan was 24, his father, Donald, died and he decided to take a chance and go down and claim his pension. Now, Neil, there was a bit of a twist in the story because uh, Don's mother, Eileen, had died in 1979 and his father was already fraudulently claiming the pension for oh her. And um, she would have, I, I, Eileen was 57 when she died in 79, uh, quite a young woman. She, I think she would have turned 65 in 1987. So the pension was already being claimed in, in her name for a short period by the father. Um, so he took the chance, went into the GPO, I suppose, at the central location. He wouldn't have been known. Uh, people wouldn't immediately uh, realise that both parents were dead and he just kept doing it for 33 years. Now, over the years, Neil, um, eligibility certs would have been sent out to the house in the father's name. He filled those in. Um, on one occasion, he even filled in... Uh, just move around a small bit, Olivia. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry I have old-fashioned phone lines. Go ahead. No, no, you're fine. Yeah. Um, at one stage, he uh, even claimed a fuel allowance for his parents. Um, he was on job seekers allowance for the whole 30 years. So basically, Neil, you were looking at him getting about €700 Euro a week um, with a combination of the pensions for both parents over the 33-year period. Yeah, yeah. Now, it all came to pass in 2020 because if um, Donald had been alive, he would have reached 100. And what the normal procedure is that the inspector goes out to the house and says, would you like this check? Of course, every pensioner who's offered it said, yes, thanks very much. But because of COVID, this check, this kind of procedure couldn't be followed. And um, Donna Callahan got a call and he confirmed that he was living in the house in Churchfield with his mother and father, who he said were both alive, and that his father would be delighted to receive this check. 
Um, so they he started filling out the paperwork and um, a few kind of normal checks were done because they didn't see this man face to face. So um, he, they checked in with home health, uh, public health nurse, and nobody was familiar with Eileen or Donald. So the alarms went, the alarm went off, and the guards were contacted. But ahead of that, um, there was the issue of a. They were looking for a photograph, wasn't there? A photograph needed for a public service card or something. They, there was. There was a photograph needed for a public service card in 2014. Mm. Now, lo- luckily for Don at the time, initially you could do it by post. Mm. So he sent in what was presumably a very old picture of his father, which naturally didn't meet the criteria for the photographs, and they rejected it. So he got um, an elderly man known to him, roughly the same age as his father, to pose for a photograph which was submitted and accepted. So he, he managed to, to get around um, the various things, but it was the, the president's um, bounty where the pensioner, where the 100-year-old gets the €2,000, which was kind of his undoing. Um, there was a great uh, guard investigation. Was that incredible uh, work by a guard of Michael Nagel? Incredible, incredible work, work yeah. by him. I mean, basically, um, he did a trawl of records trying to find death certificates and couldn't get anywhere. And he began checking cemeteries around Cork, which must have been, you know, long and painstaking work. Yeah. And um, he found Eileen's grave was at Tory Top Road Cemetery. And um, she died at 57 in 1979. And he found Donald's grave in Douglas Cemetery. And he was 68 when he passed away. Now, um, the court heard that uh, Don didn't have any obvious signs of wealth. Um, he still continued to live in his childhood home in Churchfield, but he did travel extensively to uh, Thailand where he has a, a child with a woman there and he sent um, funds, maintenance money to Thailand. Um, so he was arrested in... The guard um, also went so far as to get CCTV, didn't he? He did, um, he did. Of, he of Don O'Callaghan collecting pensions. Collecting Well, he was wearing a mask, so they, they, you know, they had to, I suppose, go through the process. So he, he followed him in the queue yeah. in um, October 2020 and he, at uh, the GPO, he was arrested. He was claiming about 961 euro. Um, I think he went every two weeks at the time and he was arrested. Now, they found about 9,000 in cash in the house, which was seized. And they also seized um, the 961 yeah. euro. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's 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 very you know it's tiny money considering what went on for 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 thirty years. Yeah, his dad was dead um, thirty four years, and his mum was dead forty three years. He made yeah. a full admission, did he? He did. Now his barrister Ray Boland said that he was very cooperative with Gardy, um, had no previous uh, convictions, and seemingly it was a relief to be caught because he claimed he had uh, worried about it. For, for many years. Now, he was the designated collector of the pensions because he had told the department that his father was unable to walk uh, to the post office to pick up the pensions. So um, so basically, he was cut out, made full admissions. Um, he claimed he had uh, a gambling addiction, but there is uh, no record of online gambling, and I suppose it's very hard to, to kind of prove day-to-day gambling. 
Um, but Cli- he said his client had a chronic gambling addiction for which yeah. he was seeking treatment, yeah, and pleaded so for years. So he is, yeah, seemingly seeking treatment for it. Yeah. But um, he's in court this morning and um, I suppose uh, facing a custodial sentence this morning. Uh, do, do, do you know that for sure? I mean, I don't, I don't want to preempt the court. I would, um, I would very much assume so. I mean, obviously, you you can you never know, but okay. I, I would very much assume okay. that, that so, it would be. So the the number of fraudulent collections of his mam and his dad's pension was one thousand seven hundred times. I suppose yeah. when he started. How do you get out of it? Like you're, well, that's what that's his, his, his barrister was saying. Is I mean, how do you get out of it without being caught? basically incriminating yourself? Yeah. So, and uh, you know, when when they talk about him not having a lavish lifestyle, you could very easily go through two thousand eight hundred a month if you were, you know, in and out to bookies, going on holidays to Thailand. He didn't have the you know the fancy car outside the house. He didn't have any obvious signs of of, of having a major kind of lifestyle but um, his defence counsel said he he took a chance and when he wasn't caught he just kept going and and that was the reality of it but I suppose just incredible um, guard work and I suppose it kind of shows how how things have changed since everything has gone on computer I suppose all of this fraud is easier in the, no, in the actually, the 90s, it was the yeah. it was the president's check. I mean, you would think in this yeah. day and age that automatically computer systems, say from births, deaths, and marriages, would automatically send a death cert to the Department of Social Welfare or whatever. You know, they wouldn't yeah. have to be this paper trail. It would just happen by software. You know. Yeah, you just kind of wonder what sort of liaising goes on between yeah. departments. Is yeah. there just kind of a, a, a lack of accountability? But I think a lot of it comes down to the, the timing that he got in there. I mean, when it started in 1987, I suppose it was such such different times it in was. terms of yeah. paperwork. And he just went in once. And when you win once, I suppose you, you keep going and keep going. Well, and, um, it was over half a million euros, yeah. a lot of money. I suppose his mistake um, ultimately was if he had said he didn't want to accept the um, the bounty, would it have gone away? Um, might have been seen as unusual, but... It could have carried on that. and he could have taken yeah. it to his grade. To some extent, yeah. it was... It well, was he could have been. Like I mean, he's, he's 59 now, Neil, so he could have been collecting his own pension in addition to um, other pensions. Um, so just in, well, at I some stage, somebody would have to say... In 20 years' time, well, his dad now is 120. I mean, his dad now well, is Well, yeah, I mean, he'd have been caught out, but, I mean, his mother was only um, 57, sorry, yeah. in 1979 when she died. So it could have gone on for a little longer with, with that poor woman. Okay, but, okay, um, okay. But so I'll just see what he faces this morning. But um, he pleaded guilty to 73 sample counts. And as you say, it's the largest and longest running case of welfare fraud. It's an incredible in story. It's incredible. Incredible story. And I think I think the the element of the father, the fact that he, he was doing it briefly as well, and yeah. that he continued it—that's the extraordinary element. God only it. knows how much of it could actually be going on that we actually don't know about. If the system yeah. is that easy to fool, and you won't be caught until, and if you just don't take the centenary bounty. You may never be caught, you know. So before, I don't think it could happen now, Neil. No. Could it, in terms of, well, I suppose if with I know somebody who got the public services card recently, and I think you do have to present to have your photograph taken. There you go. So yeah. I think you just had to have, you had to have been doing it in the period where things were looser. Yeah, around paper shuffling days. Yeah, I know yeah. what you mean. So before the court this morning, in about an hour, do you expect that to take long? 
Um, I would, I, I'm not sure is the honest answer. Um, it could be around 11 o'clock, but um, it, it, I'd say 10, 15 minutes, but we're not quite sure yet. Okay, okay. I'll let you get on with that, Olivia. And if Thanks it's at so all possible you. for you just to bang me off a text this side of midday, if there's a if there's a result, that would be great too, all right? No problem at all. You're Thank the greatest. You. Thank you so much. Thank you, Journalist Olivia Kelleher was across that in court yesterday and will be again this morning. It's a bizarre story, isn't it, lads? Absolutely bizarre. Um, and very, very serious. I mean, you can say one thing that, you know, I didn't seem to have a, a very lavish lifestyle. Fair enough. But it was still €527,000 in over 33 years. Anyway, your thoughts on that are welcome. What you can say about it ahead of sentencing. Uh, WhatsApp text 0868104106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now on the new number 0818104106. Can I just go back actually some texts from yesterday? And we were telling you the story over the past couple of days. And I chatted with Mary O'Halloran on the air herself. Mary and Jerry, of course, went through that horrific ordeal in Jerry's house on Boyce Street. Now, Paddy O'Brien came back to me when we got off the air yesterday with the most incredible text, and he says, uh, Hi Neil, I was with Mary today. Um, what I just witnessed is beyond belief, a true example of community spirit. Gordon Joyce, the coal merchant, uh, walked into Mary's house, put coal on the fire, uh, filled her two empty coal buckets at the fireplace, And then he went and put five bags of coal in her bunker free of charge. She went to pay him and he refused the money. He said it was his present to her and for her to keep warm. I mean, like when I heard that story, I was yet again blown away by the generosity and the community spirit of Cork people time after time. No wonder we're the best in the world. And imagine that Gordon Joyce and the coal merchant Gordon Joyce, um, you know, never expected Paddy O'Brien to get in touch with me and never probably wanted any kind of acknowledgement of what he did yesterday. But that kind of gesture sums up the spirit on Lee's side. That as well as the 31,000 that was raised on GoFundMe. In fact, the GoFundMe was shot at 31,000. If it hadn't been, I'd imagine it would have kept on building and building. So that's the kind of example that I want to share with you. The true example, as Paddy puts it, of community spirit, spirit, Joyce, the coal merchants, doing what they did. It was a beautiful thing. Uh, Neil, you were referencing the difference between consecutive sentences and concurrent sentences. Texter here says, consecutive sentences are rarely handed out. Concurrent is the norm. Which I find weird, actually, because I believe in that art, that interview I was reading with Barry Galvin, that that got changed, that you, would, that, that you legally could be uh, forced to serve every single sentence, one after the next. You know, that's what's meant by consecutive sentencing. But apparently the norm is concurrent, which doesn't make sense to me because, I mean, somebody who knows that they're going to go down for something while they're out on bail or whatever can conduct a whole load of other crime, benefit from it, then confess to it in court, and it'll all be bunched into the one sentence. So anyway, that's just an update on that one. I live in a village. It's an isolated place, just three houses. My partner works nights all of the time. I stay home alone with my smallies. Each night when he leaves for work, I go to bed. I'm terrified to stay downstairs on my own. I take two phones with me, a mobile and a normal house phone. I always make sure they're charged also. I keep a baseball bat beside my bed. After hearing all these news stories, I'm going to the shop today to get Beware of the Dog and CCTV in Operation Signs. We don't have a dog. We have no CCTV, but it's all just in case. Today is a good day, and I'll be sleeping in peace as my husband is off for two nights. I'm young, I'm fit, but I'm still terrified. I can't imagine how elderly people living on their own feel each night and each day. 
I'm so sorry to hear that you feel that way, that you're in so much fear in your own home. That's sad. Uh, Neil, people who commit these types of crime know that if they're caught, they'll be given very little prison time. It's them, it's to them, it's actually worth the risk. You know what? You probably never said a truer word. Mary says, I'm bubbling with anger listening to this. Until the courts send people like this to prison for at least 10 years, it will just continue. The problem is they don't mind doing a a year or two behind bars. I'm shaking here listening to your stories. Um, What an absolute brave woman Mary is being able to come on the radio and talk about her ordeal. She is an absolute gem. She certainly is that and lots more besides. So we'll come back to more of those texts throughout the course of the morning. We had some bizarre stories yesterday of pain. I just want to go back to that, actually. Wasn't it Paul started the ball rolling yesterday with the, talking about cluster headaches? Um, um, somebody actually wondered as to whether or not he ever got a COVID test. Um, I, I appreciate that that text, and, you know, I'm, I'm quite sure you meant it well, but I don't think it's, you know, I don't think that anybody that I've heard of with COVID in the past felt like somebody was pouring boiling water with vinegar added into their eye, as was the case for Paul. But anyway, Sinead, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Good. Did you hear my conversation with Paul? I did. I did. And sure, Khmer, it was like myself talking all over again and I suppose trying to make people understand. So, yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you this morning. And and how bad is it? Like, How bad is, is your pain? It's and the most excruciating pain anybody can ever have. And I've had two babies, and I have two babies naturally. And having a baby is a walk in the park alongside a cluster headache, Neil. Six so years of it you've had now? Six years of it? Yes. Um, luckily enough, I can hopefully give hope to Paul. That's my aim today. And, you know, with all the sad stories that are out there, if I can just give a little bit of hope today... That's my aim. Okay, because I, I, I had heard the term cluster headaches, but I thought it was just that. This is not a headache in a traditional sense. You, you, no. You, your mother, actually... Yeah, okay, talk to me yourself. Give me the backstory. Yeah, so cluster headaches are actually a very serious, debilitating neurological condition. And I suppose a headache should never really be used to describe them because I would describe them as an attack. Um, you know, they're, they're very debilitating. And... I suppose it took me two years to be diagnosed, which for a lot of people who get cluster headaches now, it's a rare condition. Are you wearing a um, nurse's about, cap now as well when you're describing this? So, yeah, and now if, if I do uh, start uh, talking jargon here, do pull me up oh, on you it. Oh, you better believe it. Yeah, you better believe yeah, it. Keep so, the ball on know, the ground so we can follow you, yeah. Yeah, yeah no problem at all. So there's um, about one in two in every thousand people um, are affected by this. So it is quite rare. Um, and uh, how it affects people, it is believed um, it's the biological clock in our bodies is affected. So it's an area um, in the brain, the hypothalamus, that's affected. And that controls our biological clocks. So that's the belief behind it. But actually, the trigeminal nerves uh, are also steady affected. Now. Steady So Yeah, but this is just because people want to know what causes it. And there's it's no nerve known pain, cause, you're saying, is it? But this is believed. So these trigeminal nerves or what's affected. Okay, okay. So uh, it, affects, um, it affects a lot more than around the eye. Did I read yeah, the cheek, the, the main, jaw, the yeah, teeth, the gums? These are the main branch of nerves in the face and the head. Yeah, so that's what people want to know. Um, so, yeah, going back to 2014, 2015, is, that's when I first started getting headaches. I never had a headache before that meal. Mm. Um, so I was in my, my later 30s at that stage. Um, and I would have thought I was getting sinus infections. 
I would have not thought it was anything more serious. So I went to my GP and got the usual prescription for uh, sinus infection, antibiotic and steroids. Would have had to go back because the sinus infection didn't clear with the first course of antibiotics and steroids. Um, so then I would have got maybe another sinus infection three months later and that was it. Right. Um, then uh, six months later, same thing happened again. Now, I was off work. I would have rarely been off work before that. And science infection. And then I thought, maybe it's my teeth. Because when you go to bed at night, the pain would get worse. It would wake you. All of a sudden, you'd be woken. It's actually a jolting pain. Literally, this burning pain out your ear. It's like an assault, like somebody stuck a poker in your eye or something. Exactly. But this is now at the initial stages. Um, For me, it was the initial stages. Um, so then I thought I'd been to the problems. I ended up getting five teeth extracted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I convinced my dentist it was not that tooth, it was the next one. I oh, was right. driven absolutely mad. Five, five teeth is a lot in a row? Five teeth. Um, so I had three in the top and two in the bottom on the same side of my teeth. Because it's always one-sided. Made no difference, um, did it? No difference at all. I had no relief. So then in 2015, this pain for me did not go away. But now as I know, I have learned that there are two types of cluster headache. There's episodic and episodic is also known as seasonal. And seasonal headaches can come a couple of times in the year and go away again. So normally in spring and in autumn, which is probably what I had initially, but then mine turned to chronic where the pain never went away. Ever? And I started, never. I started getting attacks up to eight times a day. And on a scale of one to ten pain, what was it eight times a day? Ten, I would say even over ten. Oh, because how I did you cope? Like, were you wearing a family was, or did you have children at the time? I had two children. They were petrified watching me go through it because I was banging my head off the wall. I was going outside to try and cool my head down. And like Paul said... I explained it as a red-hot poker coming out my eye. It was as if a beast was attacking me. I could not lie down. I could not go to bed. People with migraines can lie down. They go into a dark room. I couldn't. What about painkillers? Anything I took, nothing relieved it. Um, My GP was amazing, and he did say to me he'd never seen anybody with a headache as bad as mine. I would present, like Paul said, with my eye black and blue. It would go bloodshot. It would swell, my eye would droop, um, my nose would be running, uh, I had jaw pain. Um, like, it was just as if somebody had put a red hot poker in through my right ear and out through my, Sharp, my right burning, eye. piercing sensation, one side of the head. This is, and I can you take would a reach for ice cubes, you'd reach for cold tiles, you would go outside into the cold to try and cool your head down. And you were like something, like, like a psychopath really is how I would describe myself. And then you try not to scream to, so that you would not frighten your kids. And you wouldn't want anybody to see you kneel. Um, so sleep was the worst trigger because it's a sleep cycle illness. So you walk in the floorboards hours at night. You're walking well. the floor. You're afraid to go to sleep and then you're sleep deprived. So, um, yeah. It is so strange. And trying to get a diagnosis. So where you were saying there's a genetic link, my mother had trigeminal neuralgia which is another primary headache disorder. So initially they thought I may have had trigeminal neuralgia and they treated me for trigeminal neuralgia. 
But eventually I became so toxic from the drugs and um, fertilizer and neuralgia. I was lucky enough, I was an inpatient in the hospital in Cork and I, um, I actually had a seizure and I was very unwell for 72 hours in the hospital. And they actually administered uh, high rate flow oxygen. Yeah. And high rate flow oxygen is the first line of treatment for cluster headaches. Did it work? It worked straight away. But did it work long term? It works long term. When you take um, high uh, rate flow oxygen for 20 minutes for a cluster headache, it aborts the attack straight away. Oh no, but so does that mean that you have to have oxygen have tanks oxygen. with you? I take oxygen everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. How, how do you do that? I mean, is it in a... You like have to get oxygen tank? prescribed. So it's a neurologist really is who calling to see if you have... But is it a small already. tank that you carry or do you have something yes, on wheels? Or you, what? Are, you get large and small ones. You get po- small portable ones to take with you. And you have large ones in your house. Okay, okay. And, okay, did you put on weight? He put on five stone in like four months. From, that's, you're that's you're the nurse. I think that is was that, another man, was it? I don't think the call that I'm Sorry, no, that was another, you're yeah. right. Fair play yeah. to you. That was another chap, yeah. That's the <laughs> chap with, with restless legs. But you didn't... No, you didn't. and I did put on some weight as well. I did because steroids and some of the other meds that that other man was talking about, which I am aware okay. of, because I tried every med under the rising sun. And meds do, like, the likes of um, corticosteroids, and they do, you know, you put on weight quite quickly on some medication. So I can't see... Five stone in four months? Stuff. What is that? Water? Yeah, that is what is it? Is it water no. or is it fat? What is it? Oh, I don't know. I don't know, but it's not healthy. Okay, you know, that's so... Okay, how then can anybody listening to this, and indeed Paul, who reached out in chronic pain, he's at the end of his tether, yeah. I mean, why anybody would want to even go on? I mean, life wouldn't be worth living with that kind exactly. of pain. Exactly, and the other name for cluster headaches, which is an awful name, but it's actually called suicide headaches, so that will tell you, you see, the severity of You said it, not me, but I was thinking yeah. it, you know. Like, yes, so it is the other name, and unfortunately they are called that for a reason. And I mean, on my journey I was told so many times you have to live with them. But I wasn't willing to accept that. Like I have a husband and I have two kids that need me and I need them. So I just, I researched and researched so is it, the hope. Okay, so is it the oxygen did it for you or is it a drug trial in London? Yes. So there, this is where, uh, so from Cork, I went to a headache specialist um, in Dublin. And I was put on another infusion there that was supposed to be life changing. But for me, it wasn't life changing. But there are many different options. There is a lot of meds that you can try and may work. Um, there's infusions, there's stimulators that are hand controlled and there's surgery. But for me, um, I was offered a drug trial in London. And, and by this guy, he's, I can name him because he is world famous. Um, he's Professor um, Goldsby, Peter Goldsby. And he was life-changing for me. Okay. Because this consultant in London, um, so he actually didn't sell the ingredients. He gave the ingredients to five huge drug companies. And he asked them to come up with this life-changing preventative medicine. And not only for cluster headaches, but for migraines as well. And I went over and back to London on that drug trial for 18 months. And that's what changed my life. Okay. Now, this drug is readily available in not only in Ireland, but all over the world now. It's fully licensed, so it is safe. And I have been on that for what the last... What is it called? The one I'm on is Amivag, but there is Amivag, but there is Imgality as well. Okay. And so, so how, can, how can somebody pro- progress their own 
pain like you did, the likes of Paul and, and others? Because I, I heard, no, I, I would, did hear of uh, a consultant in pain relief who's supposed to have a really fantastic website called painreliefireland.ie. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So and I would I would get along um, and go on to the proper uh, support groups as well. There's, there's three or four of them that I can name. Um, like, he will get all the proper information there. But he does need to see a proper headache specialist. That would be... Is that a neurologist you're talking about? A neurologist. And even if he can get a headache specialist as well, because they were a neurologist. Would you but, talk to him, would you? I would, and I gave my number yesterday. I would be more than willing to talk to him. And okay. as you said, there's a lot of alternative routes as well that he can go down. Yeah, but not magic mushrooms, though. I mean, that was just... None of that. Yeah. None of that. I mean, the stuff I went to, it was all under guidance. I would not do anything just willy-nilly. Okay. He would need to take proper stuff to help him. So how are you now? Any pain? Um, I would still get pain because there's still triggers. Even the weather, I can't control the weather. So the weather is a trigger for me. And not sunlight, it would be the stormy weather now. Uh, things like that affect me. Driving affects mine and it's more to do, I think, with sitting in traffic. Okay, well we have two so, storms coming now. Will, that, re- will yes. that result in pain for you? It will, but I will go on my oxygen straight away and I have my injection that I take every month. That's preventative in itself. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, I'm going to put you in touch with Paul because uh, I did promise I'd do as much as I could and we're we're getting there slowly but surely. You could be a great help to him just pointing him in the right direction, you know? Yeah, perfect. Anything I can help with, I would be glad to do. Thanks so much, Sinead. Thanks for sharing. Appreciate it. Okay. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Sarah, good morning. Good morning, Neil. I was chatting on air with Paul and I promised that I would follow up and see if I could find anybody who was going through the similar kinds of pain that he was going through with a thing called cluster headaches. You were listening, isn't that right? Yes, yeah. Okay. He was talking about the pain being so severe out one side of his face, but primarily through his eye. He described it like somebody pouring boiling water and vinegar into his eye. Um, horrendous. Her- yeah, that's the word. Horrendous. It is. Could you relate horrendous. to that? Could you relate to that? I could. No, I they didn't call mine cluster headaches, but it it is a form of neuralgia I have. So it's all one sided face pain, and in particular, it is in my eye, at the top of my skull, my ear, my jaw, and kind of down around my cheekbone. Is that a kind of a, do you think that cluster headaches is a new term or something or is that very different to what you were experiencing? Um, I don't know. Like the, when I was listening to Paul, I found that the pain sounded very familiar, like a horrendous pain. From, and coming out of nowhere, like like turning yeah, on a light just switch. Just out of nowhere. Yeah, just absolutely. But, I mean, how does nowhere. somebody live with that where it's not a gradual building pain like a bad headache or migraine where it just it just explodes? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I found it very hard now to um, to kind of come to terms with it, really, because like when Paul said now that he was pacing up and down the sitting room at night time, that would be me as well. For hours uh, on end? Um, when I get the attacks, they might last eight or ten minutes. They could last 20, but they could come on, they could go, and then they'd come on very rapidly again. Okay. And I mean, yeah. like that, that could be a four or five hour cycle. Um, unfortunately, that's the way it happens with me. 
Okay, um, I think he said some of them could be quite, quite short, but it wouldn't be unheard of to have four hours of it, you know, at a time. Exactly. Then he yeah. said that he tried yeah. um, every single painkiller on the market. He's tried it, yeah. he said. CBD oil gave him relief for a couple of weeks, but his body grew used to it. Um, that's the problem, yeah. yeah. Did you go through the same kind of pattern? Yeah, I was on a lot of medication and um, then I went under a consultant in the matter private um, and I'm just very lucky to have met him because my level of pain would be a lot different to what it was even six months ago. Really? On a scale of one to ten, how bad was it? Oh, nine or ten out of ten. And now? Five, maybe six some days, but it could go down to a three too still on a know. good day. You know, it's still pain. And mm-hmm. he, he went it through is, he went through everything and anything, including because I was thinking that maybe oxygen might help. It might have been a shortage of oxygen to the brain. I'm not a medical person, but he said he did all of that. Um, yeah. He, he said he, he was with his GP. He was out in the COH. Um, he doesn't have yeah. a medical card. Don't think he has private insurance. Matter wouldn't be okay. cheap. The matter wouldn't be cheap, you know. No, I'm I'm lucky enough to have insurance, but I've been through that. Like we've gone to lumbar punctures, brain scans. Um, God Almighty! So. Oh, injections every month. Um, I'm lucky enough to be off them now. MRI. What did they say? Um, did they say it was something to do with the nerves in your spine, or ultimately or what? They were looking for inflammation in the blood vessels going into the brain that would uh, see, would that be what it was? So that would be a thing called trigeminal neuralgia. Right, yeah. Um, no, I think once it, they were inflamed, but I was in pain at that time. So they think that it's a very hard thing to, to diagnose, really, you know. So what did they do ultimately that halved the pain? So ultimately what they did was they put in a device called neuromodulation. So it, it would also be known as a spinal cord stimulator. How does it work? Um, so you have a battery pack in under the skin um, at the end of your back and then they fed the leads up through onto the nerve that was causing the pain in my face. And it's like an electric current. Um, you have a device then, like a remote control for all the world, and they reprogram that then every couple of months to suit your needs. And do you push a button in times of pain or something? Yes, you can turn it up. Now, it would run very, uh, it would run on a low in the background 24-7. Oh, I know, yeah, I know what you're saying. And then you can turn this up then in those times of that horrendous pain. Yeah, I mean, I think he'd investigate yeah. anything and, and I'm happy to chat with you yeah. to see if it helps him. I, I got the impression that cluster headaches, and I was reading up on cluster headaches, they commonly happen in the middle of the night. These kind of, you know, they're they like, do. weird, isn't it, that it would be in the middle yeah, of the night? Strange. They'd be woken yeah. in the middle of the night with intense eye pain in the middle of the That's- night? That's the way it happens to me as well. Um, just wake out of nowhere and you, you really would have to get out of bed. But I did download an app called Breath Ball and it's breathing in and out. And it, it does help a bit. Like nothing is going to help the pain when it's nine out of ten. Yeah. 
but yeah. it's just to kind of focus on something. You oh, know, yeah, yeah. Well, he's, he's, he's Googling. I'll make a note of that breath ball. He's Googling away so much so that he says to me, I've been advised of a magic mushroom that can give you relief for a few months. I know. That's a dangerous area to be going into. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, because look, there's risks with everything, but I don't know. Magic mushrooms probably wouldn't be the way to go. No, you wouldn't want to get to start dabbling in that area if you didn't know what you were doing. You'd have a lot no. bigger problem than a pain in your eye. You would, you would, you would. Okay, well, listen, now we know what you did. You have a little... Where's the remote control then? Is it uh, on a cord? It's or? a handheld, yeah, just <laughs> handheld. And um, the battery then is, is in underneath the skin. And um, you charge it then on a on a belt once, once kind of every week. And did you get a neurologist to refer you to the matter or something? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the yeah. path he might yeah. have to go down and see what the matter yeah. have got to offer, depending on the yeah. price and the cost. Okay. So life is somewhat better, not perfect, but an awful lot no, better. No, but look, a lot better than what I was. Yeah. All right. Listen so hopefully, if he looked into it, but he is a brilliant consultant. You know, he he will help with the pain. Okay. Okay. You might give me those details off the air, and I'll pass it on to him. Well, is that okay? I with will, you? of course. All right. Yeah. Okay, listen, you're great. Thanks for taking the call, Sarah. Appreciate okay, it. Okay, thanks, Nate. Bye. Bye. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. I uh, just want to stop for a moment because I told you the story of uh, Jerry O'Halloran and his sister Mary and the horrific attack that they went through, the robbery of 1,800 euro, the assailant, the coward, the thug, the criminal, uh, got away with the 1,800 euro, put their lives in danger, threatened to kill them, uh, and indeed had uh, a, a long-bladed knife, by all accounts. Now, the Guardian are taking that obviously very, very seriously. Uh, but a lot of people are bothered about how bad things have got. And really, I don't mean to depress anybody or be, uh, you know, a negative Nelly in this, but it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, I don't know why. I mean, it could be a cocktail, but all sorts of different reasons. I have no idea why. But it's, it's like the random attacks that we're hearing of these days. And you know what? I guess that even for me on the air, I'm only getting the tip of the iceberg. And a lot of the times these attacks come and go without being brought to my attention. But there was one brought to my attention yesterday uh, by a good friend of mine who got in touch. And he said, um, I don't know whether you knew this, Neil, but a couple were attacked on the Douglas Road near the flyover on Saturday night around half past 12, just after midnight. They live on the Douglas Road um, as a couple around about half 12, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Let's just say that they were probably socialising, having a good time, enjoying themselves in Douglas Village. And there are so many places in Douglas to go and enjoy. You don't need a car, Anthony. And then when your night is over, might have had a few jars, might have had a bit of food. I don't know. You literally walk up the Douglas Road home, not too far from home. So they were attacked. Uh, near the flyover. A totally unprovoked attack. Uh, Two guys ran at them, knocked them to the ground, knocked the man to the ground and started beating the life out of him for no reason. A passerby came to their rescue. Uh, The woman who was with them uh, suffered fractured ribs in the attack and the man has black eyes and is very badly bruised. Got an awful beating on the ground. The attackers in their late teens, early 20s ran off towards Circle K Garage. The couple, who obviously won't want to be identified, but I just thought 
that an unprovoked attack in Douglas should be brought to the public's attention and hopefully these cowards can be identified and brought before the courts. Absolutely. Um, uh, I asked him, you know, whether or not the guards were involved and uh, he said to me, they went to the guards in Toker on Sunday. Uh, They just got home on the Saturday night, got into the safety of their own home. I'd say they felt a lot of pain and worry and fear when they woke up, if they slept at all Saturday night. And they went to the guards in Toker on Sunday. And the guards in Douglas now are taking up the investigation or, and will be, maybe they have already been in touch with a couple uh, for a statement. So that's the kind of random attacks. You could have two characters just for, and there's no good reason at all that you could come up with for an unprovoked attack on anyone. Um, absolutely none. Uh, just ran at them, knocked them to the ground. Uh, an awful beating. Fractured ribs, um, black eyes, bad bruising. And of course, it's the whole psychological fear as well of something. That could be anybody just walking home of an evening. A couple walking home, um, you know, just after midnight, uh, socializing, as they probably were looking forward to all week long. So, we got in touch with the Garda, with Garda Press and they said, yes, indeed, the Garda are investigating an incident of an assault on the Douglas Road. It occurred at approximately 12.15 a.m., on 13th of February weekend, Saturday night into Sunday morning. Investigations are continuing into this matter. I mean, that's terrible. I really do feel for that couple and anybody else who's out, you know, you should be able to walk anytime, anywhere, any place. You should. Unfortunately, uh, people do so uh, with an element of fear. Uh, we asked them then while we were at it, look, could you ever also look into another one we heard about, which was uh, an attack that was supposed to have taken place in Middleton, at a bank ATM on the main street. It's alleged the individual in this case sustained serious injuries. Whoever was attacked at the ATM sustained serious injuries. Um, Garda Press said they don't have any details of that just yet. But I imagine, uh, you know, that they will sooner or later. I wouldn't imagine, I hope that everybody comes forward to Gardaí, you know, like, because it's very important these people are taken out of circulation. So that's Middleton, an attack at the ATM on the main street. But... On top of all of that, then, um, I hear that CCTV camera systems, right, that are installed. Many of the, co- the country's CCTV systems, I'm told, are not operational because of data protection issues, issues involving GDPR. And I believe that Middleton is a typical example of that, where there are CCTV cameras, a system in place on the main streets of the town, that are switched off. And this has been the way for a number of years, I'm told. Uh, Seamus was only telling me about this earlier this morning. He's doing work on it, and it's a story I hope to return to tomorrow. But the Gardaí are in talks now with local councils as to who should control the data, you know? Who's responsible for it? You know, storing it, looking at it. Would it be used to chase down criminals? Would it also be used for... Uh, maybe parking offences or all sorts of stuff like that. So GDPR, I get GDPR, I really do, but I get people, I get people's safety as well, probably more than I do GDPR. If you're not breaking the law, why should you care if there's a camera watching you? So like, that's insane that we have CCTV systems, which leads me to think that the attack in Middleton at the ATM probably wasn't captured on, unless it was captured by a business camera, it certainly wasn't captured by the community CCTV systems. That's insane. Our texts are working again. 
So, fingers crossed they remain that way. You can text 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at NeilRedFM. Text to 0868104106. Email neil at redfm.ie. Laura, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Laura, Laura, Laura. You had me at the first paragraph. Laura is a mother. Ah, you poor thing. I'm Laura, mother to three great children and one of six children myself. We're all very close and I don't want to leave anyone just yet. I have to do everything I can to be here for as long as possible for my children. Um, Your surgeon said you had eight months to a year left Mm -hmm. to live. I mean, that's even saying those words is, is... powerful you know that statement is powerful yeah yeah i know it was a it's strange now looking back because it's like i'm kind of you sort of reliving it when you're you're talking about it again because i do remember that day and obviously a surgeon's um opinion is one and then you're referred to an oncologist and you know things can change but i do remember at the time being extremely focused on what he was saying Mm. and he did comment to me of you know you don't appear to be upset and I remember quite clearly saying, I, I, I can't cry because I need to hear everything you're saying. Mm. I need to know exactly, you know, what's happening. Um, but a complete shock because I was fine. I just went for a blood test um, and all of this came out of that. So there was no symptoms, no signs, absolutely nothing at all. You Not had an ultrasound and they found, what did they find? Uh, they found a huge tumour within my liver. Um, it was 12 centimetres. Um and then they just, it started from there really. Then I was put into the CUH medical assessment unit where they were doing all sorts of everything, as you can imagine. Um, and then for weeks, really, they were trying to figure out what exactly this is because the first biopsy came back sort of irregular. And then eventually uh, they were sort of saying it looks like a duck, you know, that kind of way. Mm. Um, and then they eventually came up with the diagnosis on the 4th of April Wild of cholangiocarcinoma, yeah, which is quite rare, yeah, you know. know. Um, and you know when, when a surgeon would say that you have eight months to a year to yeah. live, um, is it eight months to a year to live with or without treatment? Well, he said at the time what he was saying is basically without, I wasn't able to have any surgery. So they don't know how anybody is going to react to chemotherapy until you actually get it. Right. You know, people go and get chemotherapy and respond extremely well. Other people, unfortunately, may reject it. You know, there's loads of different things that can happen, yeah. as, I've learned, as I've learned along the way. Um, so in his opinion, at that moment with the information he had, okay. that was the prognosis. Okay. Okay. Um, but then, as I say, I was referred to, to the wonderful Derek Power and his amazing nurses. Um, and then I started the chemo. And but if my you just, ahead, just ahead of that, well. if, you, if you don't mm. mind, you got that news where you were told you have a large yeah. tumour on your liver eight months to a year. You had to go mm-hmm. home and tell people yeah. this news. Were you, were you alone when you got it? Just talk us through that. My sister um, and my partner at the time were with me. Um, we were sitting down. Um, my sister, Una, she's been amazing as well. But like that, now she was getting extremely upset, obviously. Um, I was, I don't, I don't know. I just was quite calm. I needed to, it was a shock, I suppose, looking back. But I do remember coming home and my mom knew I was going in to see the surgeon. And I remember having to to ring her and say, you know, come over for a cup of tea and pretend or almost because I didn't want to say anything to her over the phone. Um, and when she came over and I told her, obviously she was devastated. And then my brothers and sisters all came and it was just... It, it, it's, disbelief, it's I'd say. Yeah, it yeah. is disbelief. No, nah, that um, can't be right. Yeah. 
Well, I was so healthy, Neil. I mean, absolutely fine. Like, I had nothing wrong with me. I was, I was tired, you know, I was working hard. Kids, you know, like everybody else, uh, trying my best to put one foot in front of the other, keep going, you know, the usual. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then this all happened. And, and, it was just, uh, and, and you're a 51-year-old mum, you don't mind me yeah. saying that, I know. Because no, not at the, all, not at you. all. You, you told the kids something, did you? I did, I did. Like, they were quite young. Um, Ewan was only 10 at the time. Um, Anita was 16, Tyg was 17, they're quite close in age. And I basically, what I said to them, because that's a lot to give your kids, and I knew from day one that I didn't want to be fatalistic with regard to them. I wanted them what to try and What did you say live. then? How did you put it I them? basically said that I'm always going to live with cancer. So as long as I'm alive, I will have cancer. Um, but we don't know how long that's going to be, but I'm going to get treatment. And I tried to be as positive as I could with them with regard to that. I didn't want to come and say any, I never said, even yesterday, my son Ewan came home. I looked at the, the, you know, the post on the GoFundMe page and read it. And he said, mom, you never told me at the time that this is what the surgeon said. I know. And I said, I said, you when you were too young, I didn't, I, from day one, Listen, I you protect said, your I was, children from all sorts of things. And that's, an, that's, that's one of the most, and I, yeah. yeah. And I wanted them also to have, this sounds mad, but I wanted them to live their lives as if I didn't have it. Okay. I didn't, I never, I've never brought them to chemo with me. I've never, I've always tried when I've after treatment, which is obviously very difficult. Um, I've always tried to be as upbeat as I can. I've got up every single morning with them going to school, regardless. And this chemo has been extremely... Like yeah, the extreme, like 200 infusions of chemo is very yeah, tough. Over that. Yeah, over yeah. Yeah, 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 very tough. Yeah. You see, the thing is, you start on one drug, and then they say, oh, for this particular cancer that I have, along the line, this mutation, they, they test for, it's genomic testing for the different mutations. And when that happens, then they can target different mm. drugs to it. Mm. So Derek would... I had to do different biopsies for that to happen. So I've had lots of different types of chemotherapy. Uh, I've had ones where I've had to wear a pump at home. I've had ones where I've had once one a week or once every two weeks. You know, it's just but been loads of different. But have you exhausted all the chemo options now? I have, yeah, yeah. I have, unfortunately. And, and, and like, it's difficult rearing a family. And I'm told for many, even just with chemo after it, Mm. The nausea, the tiredness, just the mm. loss of appetite, the loss of Everything. will to live. It's can't get yeah, out of as, the bed. Yeah, as I said, uh, as I, you do, I, this, sound, this is also going to sound crazy, and I, I'm a very strong person mentally. I know that myself. I always have been. Um, and I only speak for myself when I speak as a cancer patient because I don't like when people generalize. You know, every one of us is completely different. Um, and it needs to be, that needs to be certainly looked at as well because people just say, oh, that person's cancer. But we're all very different. We react differently. We struggle with different things. It's completely individual and it's actually quite a lonely experience regardless yeah. of family. Yeah. You, you know, said your body that. was alien to you. What does that mean? It was, yeah, because, you know, you go from being someone who was doing coastal rowing or walking or, you know, to suddenly being pumped with steroids that none of your clothes fit. I know this sounds, you know, it doesn't, it seems superficial and it is superficial. But on a, on a, on a level when you're a woman and you're going to your wardrobe and one week you're this, the next week you're that, you can't, you know, you're getting out of the shower looking at yourself thinking, who is this person? Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, you're standing in front of a mirror, you know, you're, you're, you've no hair, your mm-hmm. body is completely different shape, you're bruised and battered. 
um, you do feel like you've been hit by a train. I know, I know. But you hold on to one thing and that's hope, isn't it? That's exactly it. And you also have to sort of make a decision each day, if possible, to do something, even if it's just getting out of bed and getting down the stairs. I would do that and then I I mightn't go up the stairs again until I had to go to bed. I know. But, you know, just do something maybe that put on a bit of lipstick you know just do something that when you pass the mirror it can make you feel a bit better I know that sounds mad no I mean it's your story your experience and they're the things that you did to try and lift your spirits but this is a lot longer than eight months to a year later this is five years later I know and my oncologist is scratching his head honestly it's just been incredible but I did say when I met him first, can you please just try and keep me alive until there is something else? Because when I was diagnosed, there was one line of treatment. That was it. You know, this is an incurable cancer. Um, Where my tumour was, it was encased within my liver, going through both lobes. It's it's inoperable. Um, I reacted very well to the first rounds of chemo that I got. I got shrinkage. And then we just kind of went on. I ate well and and I I do eat well. I hydrate a lot. I try to do everything. Yeah. You, didn't you know, spread or anything. Would, it didn't spread from the liver. I have mixed my lungs as well. They're very small, but they are there. But that's not uncommon with this disease. That's how it sort of behaves. Um, but like what happened with why chemo op, as an option runs out is because my platelets are just shot. not recovering. Yeah, they're they're shot. shot. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so I met Derek last Friday. I had scans last week. Um, and we just had a chat and he said, look, you know, the playlist is still not, we still can't, you know, we need to, we were, we've been discussing this drug for a while, but because it was it, through clinical trials uh, in 2018, it was approved then and then it went to market, then the pharmaceutical company took it up. So we've been watching this drug all along. Um, and then last Friday, he said, we're just going to have to keep trying to get this drug. And is it your um, only hope? And like, it's my w- only. Without it's, it, what, what do, is there a time frame? Is there a prognosis? Well, there, there isn't. There isn't really. But it's uh, as I said, scans last week, and he did say there is progression. Yeah, um, I know. And that's the thing. If you're not on chemo, um, your disease does progress. That's just the way it is. And has it um, become? Has it become almost like you're detached from yourself in the sense that okay, you're a strong, powerful woman. You know, you didn't mm-hmm. shrink away from this. You fought it. You did everything you could. Mm-hmm. But that it's not really about you or your life, um, it's about as you said yourself, you don't want to leave your children just yet. I don't want to leave the people, nobody wants to leave the people they love. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that, you speak to anybody, their first thing is, I just don't want to leave the people I love, especially my children, they are absolutely my world to me. Um, and that's like every mother would say that, mm. you know, and you would do anything and everything possible, and if you knew me well, you'd know it was mm. extremely difficult for me to even do the GoFundMe page because I'm fiercely independent and I don't like asking for help. But as I say, I had a conversation with Derek last week and he said, look, you're, you know, this is the only way we can go forward with this. And I said, okay. Why does so it, I went to my son it, yesterday and we why, sat down and did why it Why does a drug cost €14,000 a month for six oh, months? If I had the answer, I honestly, Neil, I, I don't That's know. It's only 90 I, grand for six months. Yeah, I was listening to Professor Riley recently talking about the new, you know, UCC study they're doing with the lithium and Seamus, is it? Yeah, yeah. Seamus, and he he's obviously also a remarkable man. Yeah, but yeah. he was basically saying that their hope for this new trial that they're doing is that it's available to everybody worldwide when it is approved. Please God that it will be. Yeah. Um, the FDA are very quick to approve stuff, much quicker than the EMA, which is Europe. I don't know why that is. I honestly don't. 
Um, but this, as you say, is my only, it's the, it's the only, um, it's the first and only targeted therapy for my mutation. But let, forgive me for asking this. Is, no? Does this okay. buy you time or does it reverse the cancer? It buys me time. People who I'm, I'm part of a patient group, you know, and most of those patients obviously are in America who are on this drug. Yeah. Um, and what they're, some are getting shrinkage, which is amazing. Most, the majority would be getting um, what's stabilizing. It stabilizes the disease because it stops the, 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 the gene from, you know, from duplicating, yeah, for yeah. want of a better word. Yeah. So obviously that inhibits growth. So it basically stabilizes your cancer. And if you can stabilize a cancer, you live with the side effects or you live with the fatigue, but it doesn't progress. And that's basically what it is. So that obviously then gives you more time. Does it give you years? years. It can. There's a person who was on the trial in 2018 and they were very lucky to get on the trial like that now in America, of course, and they're doing so, so well. And they had a kind of a dire prognosis at the time. Um, and this drug has really inhibited the growth of their tumour. It must be so very frightening to have something so close and just out of reach all based on one thing and that's money. It's it's. Frightening, but more frustrating. Frustrating is a better way to put it. Yeah, I I think, and you really do have to have a word with yourself and not get angry because that's no good for you at all. Um, But the frustration of trying to get this is absolutely, as I say, Derek Power has tried to get it, you know, on compassionate grounds because it is my last hope. Um, But there are no channels in Europe for me to get this on compassionate grounds. And the HSE won't foot the bill? No, I no, they won't okay. because it's not approved. It's just all to do with approval. Like it's it's it's. Now I I don't know the politics of it. Obviously, I'm not a politician. Um, but the EMA, it's it's basically that's approved by the European Commission to market that's and sell a product. That's why it's frustrating. Yeah, yeah. that's why it's frustrating. If I was an American citizen, yeah, you know, and I I could go to America and I had insurance in America and all these different things. Um, I would have access to it. And I'm hoping that that's going to happen, and I'm sure it will. So for an independent um, person like your good self, it's difficult yeah. to have to ask the public, isn't it? You call it, you're, you're humbly asking, because it, you know, it's... I, I found it so difficult. Even, like, all my family would know that, even when I was hanging from chemo, and they'd be like, we'll do this soon, that for you. I'm like, no, I'm, you know, I'm just one of... I'm very independent, and I try... I'm sort of a problem solver, and I like to tro- solve problems myself. Um, but yesterday, when I um, was sitting down with Ty, my oldest, he, you know, I typed up the thing and he said, look, let's just look at setting up the page and see what it entails. And he's quite good, obviously, with all IT. So then he did that. And then he said, look, mom, it's, we can just launch this right now. And I, I still had a moment of, oh, my God, it, it, feels, it feels uncomfortable to ask for help and yeah. for money. But I really have to overcome that. And yeah. And then the response, you see, I spent most of yesterday genuinely bursting into tears. Isn't it bizarre that in a day you raised nearly 34 grand? It's it's overwhelming, overwhelming, and it's so touching, and I'm genuinely holding back the tears all the time when I think about it. You're going to get there, you know. Yes, I am, by hook or by crook, because because I have to. You know, it's not like this is something that I can choose not to do or it's not like something that there's an alternative around the corner or this is my last chance of living for longer and that's it in a nutshell so I have to overcome all my stubbornness or 
independence. Mortification of asking for even money, I need embarrassment, all of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, feeling uncomfortable yeah, it's kind about of, it. it is, yeah. It is kind of uncomfortable, let's be honest, but... Well, you want you want to easily. you want to be there to celebrate some more of your children's life markers, yeah. as many you know, of them would, as you can. Yeah, I, I would mean, absolutely. The idea of seeing my you know daughter married, the idea of becoming a grandmother, the idea of see, like I have lovely nieces and nephews and grand nieces and nephews. It's just I'm not here to be jumping off should, bridges. Absolutely, you should be. want to cling on. Absolutely, I don't. Yeah, but, but Neil, my my bucket list genuinely from day one has never been to do all sorts of weird stuff up and down mountains. I really just want to get up in the morning, do my child's lunch for school, do my bit of shopping if I can. You know, I just want to live a normal life surrounded by the people that I love who are close to me. I've never had this desire to do crazy things. I just from day one have been very grounded in just wanting to be with the people I love. And would just you, would you sum it up normal. saying, I want to just continue to be a man? Absolutely, a hundred percent. Because you are the minute you have, you know, you, you you're a parent. Yeah. The minute you have them, that's it. Your life changes, and then you. There's also a huge part that you don't want to change their lives so much by leaving them. I know because the impact of the grief on them. I, I just don't even want to think about it. I know. So I just want to, I want to spare them that for as long as I possible. Know. Now the target, really? as to say, is 90,000. That would yeah. give you six months treatment on this, uh, yeah. on this yeah. hopefully what will be your wonder drug to prolong life for as long as possible. Uh, yeah, already absolutely. it's 33,500 euro. Uh, if Which people are moving, yeah, it's an incredible amount of money so yeah. fast. I know, amazing. And I'm so, I'm so grateful. I know. Why wouldn't you be? I mean, it blew me away. I would have thought, it might be a slow burner, but it's not. No. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't there fierce goodness out there and generosity? Absolutely. And <clears throat> I've always tried to be kind person. It's coming back um, to you now, Laura. It's coming back to you now. Yeah, it's, it's, it is overwhelming. And I'm so sorry to getting upset because it's just so touching that this has happened. But look at, look at so everything good. you've been through, you know. Oh, it's just been hell. Yeah, it has, it has been, it's been hell. extremely difficult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it has been, but life is also so wonderful, even when it's difficult. What um, do you look, how do you look at life differently now, carrying this tumour around with um, you, saying, and you, it's a ticking you, time bomb? Well, I think you just do not sweat the small stuff at all. You know, you do really genuinely have a focus on the, the important things, the feelings of, it, I know it sounds mad, but even spring at the moment, there's a daffodil came up on my shed in the garden. And I know this sounds ridiculous, but even just seeing the daffodil come out, I remember last year when it came out going, oh God, I hope I'm here next year to see that. And, it, and the joy it brings me to be here to see it. And that, that's a very small thing. You know, I walk, sometimes I drive out to the lock or, it's just being able to see. Are you seeing things you didn't see before? You've time to. You've time to because it focuses your mind yes. very much. Yeah. You know, you don't. You really do not. You're not taken up with stuff that really does not matter. It really doesn't matter. There is so much stuff that does not matter at mm. all. Mm. So it's only when, unfortunately, you. Can, I, I don't wish this knowledge. You know, the only way you seem to be able to get to this place is to have something like this happen. So I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Yeah, yeah, you but get there are to, gifts yeah. with it. Yeah. Strangely, there are gifts with it. It, yeah. it makes you focus and slows you down. And 
Well, look, we, we yeah. all want you to see many, many more spring daffodils. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. <laughs> and, it, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time to ring me and, um, and just to thank all wanna, your listeners. I just want to help in any way we can and let people know that you're there that. and that you're looking for people's help and that it's uh, yeah. very much appreciated every single cent. GoFundMe is up. It's called Support Laura Swan's Wish to Live Longer. It really yeah. is that Tig's idea. It really sums up the situation you're in. Support really Laura Swan's wish to live. Yeah, longer. we were sort of hashing one thousand, and we sort of. And I said, well, no. I, 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 I would like just to say what it is. There's nothing here that I'm. It, it literally is what it is. Would I be mean, great. See, just, but it, it, but yeah. giving people giving you the gift of of time. How do you even thank people for that? It's just incredible incredible and I'm so appreciative and I really really want to say thank you thank you so 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 much to everybody okay okay listen do stay in touch in the coming weeks and months ahead now we've shared the GoFundMe already on our our Facebook and on Twitter and things like that and I'd encourage people if they can help the smallest amount of money Absolutely, and I know times are hard at the moment, yeah, you know, know, so anything at all. I know, you're so very humble about it, in fairness to you. People get that. So go fund me, support Laura okay. Swan's wish to live longer. Do stay in touch and encourage people I to really help indeed. if they can, because um, you've been through enough um, and uh, you need our yeah, help. You need our help. I do, I really, really you do. Gotta get thank this you so drug. you got to get this drug. Yes, okay, Laura, okay, we'll Thanks, stay in touch. Neil. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for making the Neil Prendeville Show the most listened to talk show in Cork. Again, Cork's Red FM. I just uh, do those details again for the GoFundMe one more time, if you don't mind, and then um, uh, we will move on. But I want to keep a close eye on Laura, Laura's story and uh, hopefully her treatment. I, I think it will happen. Thirty-four thousand now, a goal of ninety thousand, which is needed for six months of the treatment. Support Laura Swan's wish to live longer. We've shared it on our Facebook and our Twitter. Even the smallest amounts of money help. I see texts coming in on that already. You can text 0868-104-106. I mentioned earlier on that there's the end is now in sight for masks in schools, shops and on public transport. I think Michal Martin still said, even though it won't be mandatory, he still would be encouraging people to wear masks, certainly on, on public transport. But the law on it will be dropped and replaced by guidance instead, you know, to protect against COVID or what have you. So NEFID are meeting this week and the government is expected um, that the uh, wearing of masks in primary and secondary schools to end after NEFID meets this week. So would you be saying that from Monday morning of next week, there'll be no more masks in primary and secondary schools? Well, that, that would be my reading into it. But there was an interesting story that I picked up from from Cork Bio uh, over the last couple of days, and that is from Bunskull Ring on Cowlig in Rushbrook, uh, which was uh, targeted the parents and the pupils and the teachers uh, by some people outside the school with leaflets. Um, uh, Cork Bio said bogus claims about masks and vaccine safety, and a lot of people got upset about this, uh, particularly and, and not just the teachers or what have you, but and not just some of the parents but some of the kids as well like one father reported their da- his daughter being in tears due to being the area so crowded others said kids ended up walking on the road due to the amount of people there um, somebody said I was upset and my kids were stressed so I went home when I got home I phoned the guards myself and was told the squad car was there already the school and several parents had already phoned the guards um, Sinead Shepherd, the councillor and local resident on the area has a couple of kids going to that school um, and will join me in a moment uh, but I did see some comments coming in on it 
Uh, one of them said, appalling behaviour by anti-mask protesters outside Rushbrook School. The guards have been called, blocking kids trying to get out of school, kids being forced to walk on the road, handing out leaflets one side anti-vax, the other side listing apparent children's deaths from the vaccine. These leaflets were given to the children as they left the gate and telling them to bring them home to their parents. This is absolutely unacceptable behaviour. Two teachers came to the gate to try and ensure the safety of the kids and phones were stuck in their faces recording them. My children were afraid and unable to get into the car. How dare they act in such a manner outside our kids' school? So as I say, Sinead joins me by phone. Sinead, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Did you do a collection yesterday? Did you pick up your children there? Did you see anything? Yeah, I picked my uh, little boy up there at half past two. Now, I, um, I park up the hill from the school and he walks up to me, so I didn't actually see it. My little boy, when he got into the car, he's eight, um, he said to me that um, there was loads of people outside the school and they were giving out pieces of paper. And he said, I just ran up the hill. And I was saying, what was that about? And then I had gone home and when I was at work, somebody rang me and they had said to me that there was a protest um, outside the school and obviously it gained traction then overnight um, an awful lot of people on social media about it and everything, you know. Here's another one for you. Uh, Kids couldn't get out the gates due to the crowd and there was panic setting in um, and it was like a stampede. Uh, One of my friends was given a leaflet but he ripped it up and passed it back. Children were forced out onto the road in a confused state. Some children started fighting with the protesters, showering them with water from their bottles. Kids have had enough to deal with. They don't need this pointless stuff now that it's all nearly over. This is bordering on anarchy. Protesting at this stage and using young kids is just the cause of chaos. Well, look, I said myself last night, um, I was contacted by uh, Cork Bio that you listed there. And as I said to them, you know, a primary school is no place for protesting. These kids are innocent kids going into school. And I, I have to mention in regards to Bunskull, over the last two years of the pandemic, that school have gone above and beyond to ensure that our kids are in a very fun, safe environment, that the kids enjoy going to school. It's their outlet. So for something like this to happen outside a primary school, I don't think is acceptable at all. I mean, children really in this pandemic have been the most affected over the last two years. You know, they've, their lives have been turned upside down in regards to no play dates, not seeing family, mm. being restricted with seeing grandparents. So then for them to be subjected to this as well. Were well, kids going really, home in tears, do you know? Well, I didn't see that, but I did read that and, and I've read it from one or two um, parents from the school. So I'm, I'm guessing people aren't lying when they're saying that. And what's you know, the point of it if masks are gone, say, Monday? Sure. What, who knows what the point it is? What is the point in standing outside a primary school with young children and protesting? As I said last night to somebody, if you want to protest about something, you're completely within your right to protest, but come outside uh, County Hall. And that's me and my position as a local councillor. Come outside um, City Hall, you know, come outside a political area, but don't don't go outside a primary school where all our children are in there innocently. And that is not a place that, that you protest. And to that that the teachers and the principals are just trying to enforce the protocols that have been handed to them aren't they 
Well, that's it. They're just playing by the rules and doing exactly what has been asked of them. And, you know, as he said, Neil, and schools like have gone above and beyond to ensure that kids feel like they're going into a very happy, friendly, safe environment. So for something like this to happen outside of the school, which is, you know, teachers can have no control of that. I think it's really disappointing that this group um, have chosen primary schools for it. And having read a number of comments, um, last night, it seems that it's been happening in a number of primary schools over the last two mm, weeks. Mm, okay. So All right. I just, I don't see what they really think they can gain from this, and that's not undermining anybody's views in relation to vaccination or masks or anything. Everybody is entitled to their own opinion and their own view, but coming outside a primary school and making it unsafe for children is not an acceptable okay. way to do L- it. You can, if, you, if you wish to hold on, please feel free to do so, Sinead. I have uh, yeah. Ross Lahive, who was uh, one of those that was at the school yesterday, joins me by phone. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, and well, I, I, I did ask for a copy of the leaflet, but the copy that was sent to me by email was illegible. Can, yeah. you, can you tell me, what did it say? Oh, it says there's lots of information on there. Um, you know... Um, has the school done a risk assessment, for example? Is your child order sourced after school? Um, do you know that, you know, HICWA did um, a, 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 a paper, scientific paper, and advised NEFIS for children under 13 not to wear a mask for a whole list of reasons. Yeah. And um, I just find it very insulting that um, she has completely uh, warped sense of what happened yesterday because that wasn't my experience yesterday. No, it's not. It's not any one individual. There's text after text after text of appalling well, behaviour well, outside we, a child's we, school. We're not blocking any any um, way for them to get to, the kids to get out. No, the fact that you were there at all. These are small little children but, who yeah, are supposed to feel because, safe and um, secure when they're out of yeah, their mummy and daddy's sight. What, what are we doing here, Neil? Are we um, uh, targeting schools, uh, spending our time? Money and effort to uh, uh, to intimidate children. What what what's, what is what's the suggestion here? What That's are we doing? That, you, um, that they gonna, did feel that the they did feel intimidated, and one parent no, said they it was didn't. They, they felt they felt uh, a sense of excitement. There's something different outside the school. They they were um, having they were laughing and cheering. I didn't see any kids crying. None of our uh, team members said that gave any. We ha- were all in agreement not to give any of the children any of the flyers we give them to the parents. And the parents should so be the given parents that said that, the so the parents themselves. that said that their kids brought them home. Are lying, are they? That they that parents well, that are saying that you did lies. give them to we've children been, are lying. What I'm saying is, we've been dealing with lies from the very beginning. No, we've not, been doing this I, I understand that. We're not, I'm not actually talking about the big picture here. I'm just talking about the incident no, no, yesterday. No, I'm talking about uh, incident yesterday, and it relates to other instances. Do, I mean, did we've you stick? Did you stick phones and record principal or teachers who tried to come out to protect the safety of the children? Can I just get back to my point, please, Neil? Just let me make my point. Well, you're not we've gonna, been can, you not, well, can we've, you not tell me whether well, look, you did record teachers? Look, we, we spoke to the teacher at the very beginning. She was actually quite pleasant, but she was lying to her teeth. She said that each and every day they do a risk, a risk assess, assessment for each and every child, which is complete lies. Actually, I was on the why phone. Does that, why does that, no, Ross, like, why did, I, I have no right. problem with people so protesting. Her, but I why does her, that I matter her, when the protocols that have been in place for schools to follow is not of their making? The masks but, but, are mandatory. But they're disregarding uh, Hickwa's advice. But your Sinead is right. She says that's not the so, place to be protesting. You know, why, you no, need to go to, to the organ grinder. No, no, no. It's the, it's the perfect place to go to, Neil, because we're bringing information to the, to the parents that they've never, uh, they've never heard before. And it's, it's quite an eye-opener to them. And they're not hearing it from the schools. They're not going to hear it on Red FM. They're not going to hear it on RTO from the government. So we have to tell them. And this is the best way to tell them. They know. And we're not intimidating they know more than kids. Any- they don't know. 
they, of course they do know. They know the impact that it's had on their children. I'm experiencing, I'm experiencing these parents firsthand. They're very grateful for this information. The vast majority of them majority of them are willing to engage, willing to talk, and you'd be surprised the vast majority of them don't want their kids wearing masks, and what better place to go to than the schools? So you didn't give any leaflet to children? There were no, no we children crying? We there were no children forced out onto the road to go any, around? I didn't, see, I didn't see any child crying whatsoever. Um, they were having a laugh, the excitement of it all, something new outside the school, you know? And they didn't. They didn't start showering you with water from their water bottles? Well, I, I didn't get any of that. Okay. Um, okay. None of the uh, team did, members said that okay. either. Did you stick mobile phones and record teachers? Um, can I just get back to my point, uh, Neil? I, um, with, the, um, with the slander and the lies. We have schools um, sending out messages to parents that were forcefully given in information, like we're some kind of thugs, um, forcing this information down parents' throats. We go up to a parent. If they don't want the information, we'll say, fine, that's grand, thanks, have a nice day. And we'll move on to the next one. And there's plenty of parents willing to receive this information. And talk about intimidation as well and uh, harassment. I had a teacher in front Ah, no, I don't want to know of anybody's spy. names or no, anything like I, that. Well, well, he's a teacher. He's Listen, family. if you're going to get into individual names, I'm not going to continue with the conversation. I, can I just... No, I'm not going to get into a conversation that's going to identify individuals. Uh, I'm going to put you back on hold and see if you can get your uh, get yourself sorted in that. Do you want to respond to any of that, Sinead? He says none of this happened. Yeah, look, I suppose I'm not on here, Neil, to get into an argument with Ross. I think you said his name was... Um, you know, I, I don't agree with what he said. I don't think there's any defending um, protesting outside a primary school. Um, I, you know, parents have said that their that their kids were upset, and I believe them. I don't think anybody really would be lying about something like this. Um, and irrespective of what Ross's beliefs are, I don't think um, just I don't think he can justify standing outside a primary school and targeting students and children. It is not the place to do it. And as I, I you know, I'll reiterate what I said come up outside County yep, Hall or yep, come up outside okay. City Hall or take your protest somewhere else but definitely don't make it political outside a primary school and I suppose Neil I'm speaking not only as a public representative for the Cove uh, area but also as a parent of three small kids and you know I was collecting my children yesterday but there were some parents that weren't collecting their yeah, children and their there kids was, were walking home and that is a worry No but not everybody thinks that there was a problem uh, we got a call there recently saying I was at the school for 45 minutes yesterday collecting two okay. kids and there was absolutely no issue those handing out the leaflets were lovely there was no issue I saw, no children upset, and I was there for 45 minutes. So what's going on here? Well, as I said, I didn't see it. I was parked up the hill and I said that from the outset, so I, I couldn't tell you that. You know what I mean? I didn't see But your any, point is that they the shouldn't process. be there at My all. My point yeah. is that they shouldn't be outside a primary school. I am not saying that these people shouldn't protest and that they shouldn't have their views. By all means, do all of that, but just not outside a primary school. And can I just say, Neil, before I go, because I really want to get this point across, because, you know, I'm conscious that um, Bunskin really in Cove has been mentioned here today, but I just really want to get the point across that this is a super school that have gone above and beyond over the last two years for the students in the school. They have made it such a positive, friendly, safe environment for our kids and I just want to praise the teachers and all the staff of the school for that. Okay, thank you Sinead, thanks for taking the thank call, you so thank much, you to Neil. Ross Lehive. I had to stop the conversation there because it just, I, I mean you, 
making allegations against named individuals is just not acceptable. Uh, or you can text, though, if you were there, because I'd love to get your own opinion on what did or indeed did not happen. Text 0868104106. It's the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Well, the man said it. No need for me to say it. John, good morning. I can't understand morning, why there's even a protest if masks are gone, say Monday. You know? Yeah, well, I, 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 I guess it's, it's, it's prolonging, uh, it's dragging on. And, and there's no harm that the masks are going. The whole thing was ridiculous. Now, you've known my stance on this. From I, have, yeah, I have, yeah, I have. Yeah, and, but n- n- not outside the school. The kids, the kids are after <coughs> getting harassed enough. And it should always be the parents' decision about what's best for their children. Now, unfortunately, the parents were harassed by the government propaganda machine to put this stuff into their children's body. And it should, it should have been left to the parents to decide uh, voluntarily uh, what is right for their child. So we have, we have a good and bad situation all as a one thing. But the government should never... You know that not everybody would agree with that line. I'm obliged to tell you that. But will we put our swords back in our scabbards on that one? But no, but hold on a while now. The government should never be allowed to dictate to parents what, and take the rights away from a parent about what's correct for their child. I, I, w- I would have thought which, which, that. I would have thought that no stranger, for any reason, should be outside the gates of a school. No, no, they shouldn't. I don't. I don't agree with that. No, look, they could have went down to the city hall and they could have. Uh, 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 they could have made contact with the councillors going into meetings. They Monday said it was the parents whenever. they wanted to get the message to. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, but that's fair enough. But they could have stood away from the school. Like the parents would have seen them as they drove down or walked down in the whole lot and everything, and they could have made contact with the parents as they walked down to the school or approached them without the children. Mm. I, look, the kids are after getting a belly full of this. Uh, I, I am sure that they're as confused as a lot of the adults are out there about what's, what's right and what's wrong. And at this stage, I don't think anybody knows what, what is right and what's wrong. Well, actually, an interesting text difference is that I'm neither pro nor anti, but the government, the media, the main channel advertising are all pushing vaxxers for 5 to 12-year-olds at the moment. Maybe this is the only way the anti-vax can get their information to the target age. Well, you see, five to twelve-year-olds yeah. being vaccinated. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, I, I don't agree with that anyway. But yeah. the, the, but we have stats to see that are being hidden by mainstream media, and it's been hidden by the by by the by the government as well. There are casualties, Neil. There are. Yeah, let, yeah let's, let's let's make no mistake about it. Yeah, I have a friend at the moment, and and he's what he's been jabbed twice. He's now into his second or third dose of uh, of of this flu, and. Uh, a strong young fella that plays rugby and he's as flat as a pancake. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, re- so, you mean in so, a sense he's wrecked from it, is it? Oh, he's wrecked. Yeah. yeah. He's wrecked. Like, it was a complete... And his reason for getting the jab was not that he believed in it, but he wanted to go, he wanted to go on vacation. Like, like a lot of the kids. He wanted to go on holidays, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, like, I mean... Uh, which was his choice. I know, he's over I know. Sure, I know. And you know? listen, we had so many stories of that in the past and to a la- large yeah. extent, I'm glad we're not having them anymore by and large. But, but, you know? but, why, but why are we not, why, why are the numbers of the problems being hidden? And they are being hidden. They are being hidden. Let's call a spade. Give me, spade. Oh, just very quickly, give me a number then that's being hidden. What number? Give me one statistic. That's the problem, Neil. I had this conversation with you at the start. I said, I hope this don't go wrong because if it do, it's going to be horrible. That was back in 2019 when we had this conversation. And it's going wrong. Um, it's not. We're out of it. I hope ah, we'll hold on a while. Well, 
yeah, yeah. But well, look, there were there was two years when people couldn't meet one another and couldn't talk to one another. There was no stats on who had the same problems. There's been myocardia, there's been blood clots, and there's been everything. It's just amazing that Pfizer's brought out uh, the two of their drugs uh, that that's made huge profits. One was for myocardia, which went up, uh, I think it was 37%, and the other one for blood clots, went, which went up uh, 17.5%. Yeah. What's, yeah. what's the problem with that? Yeah, but they didn't have them stats on it before they started jabbing people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I suppose I no, wanted maybe and, and, wanted maybe stay with the story of outside no, schools. Uh, yeah. And 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 for for the, for the doctors that can be checked out on on, on the Nasdaq under uh, under share price. That this is just driven by greed and by wealth and profit. Yeah. Oh well, well, they're up to thirty-seven billion in profit already. They're not a charity, you know. Pharmacy oh, yeah, companies. yeah, but but you listen. Hold on a while now. If it was a pandemic, how much money do you want to make off of a pandemic? Yeah, you so think, we, yeah. We, well, in the, in the sense that, that, that pharmaceutical companies should have produced all the vaccines for free or at cost, is it? Or, or, well, they, well, if it was a pandemic, is, is the plan to save the world or, or, or to uh, charge the world? Yeah, I suppose save the world and make money out of it. That's the capitalist way, I suppose, isn't it? Oh, yeah, but uh, like, uh, what, what a shame like, that, uh, okay. that they've, they've, they've went so, so bad on this. Like, okay, know? but not at schools. That's the point, I suppose. Not at schools. All right. No, away from the school, reach the parents, not the kids. All right. Thank you, John. They have zero right to give medical advice to children. Children have zero connection to any of this. A bunch of attention seekers. It's just sad that the restrictions are almost gone. And they'll have nothing to feel persecuted about anymore. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. New year, new number for Neil. 0818-104-106. Yeah, I want to be fair to everybody concerned, and that includes Ross and his uh, group of people who were outside schools and um, were in Rushbrook yesterday because not everybody is saying that, uh, you know, that it was uh, problematic. There were other, apparently, people uh, protesting and giving out leaflets at other schools. Here's an example. We had an anti-vax protest last week in our school in Bishopstown giving parents leaflets, but we found them to be extremely polite. Um, one other one here quite short says... Those guys need to stay away from our children. Our children, our choice, what we do. Uh, Morning, my children don't go to that school, but whatever your beliefs, those protesters had absolutely no right being outside the school, full stop. Uh, They have no defence. They shouldn't be there, end of. Uh, They are a disgrace. When masks are gone, how will they feel if people start protesting outside schools because they want mask wearing back? Uh, They think everyone that wears masks are fools, Everyone that wears masks are sheep. Well, we aren't. We make up our own minds. We aren't protesting against their views. So why do they protest against ours, says Gillian. So thank you for that. Um, I'll just go back to the phone lines if you want and uh, actually pick up with uh, with another Gillian. Gillian, good morning. How are you? How are okay, you? so that was Rushbrook. Somebody else mentioned Bishopstown School. You're talking about McCroom, is it? Yeah, yeah, they were um, a few weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. And were they polite? Extremely polite, yeah. Okay. There was no bother. They offered, they said, would you like a leaflet, please? And I, I didn't know what it was, and I took it, and they were chatting away. It couldn't have been nicer, to be honest. We had great, you know, great conversation. It was and one of the grandparents, yeah. yeah. Do you think it's the same group? Um, I don't know, to be honest. Yeah. I no, I'm, the only reason I'm asking, yeah. because that's like chalk and cheese from 
some of the the the, the comments that I got from parents yesterday. Children upset, no. crying, stressed. My kids were very happy. They were chatting away to them, and there was no issue. We had we were chatting away, and they were just asking how school, and we had a lovely chat actually. Very informative, to be honest. But do you do you One not lady think was that a teacher actually what? One, one lady was actually a retired teacher. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and there's no lady. issue with people protesting whatsoever. But not at all. But hold no. on. No, I'm just saying. Would you not think that primary schools, that the only people that should be anywhere near a primary school is somebody who's related to the children inside or a teacher? Well, I think when it's to get information, I think when people weren't getting the information, I, I think it was a way of getting information to people because the schools certainly weren't giving the information. They were going along with everything they were told without even getting a risk assessment, which I couldn't believe that there was no risk assessment done on this, you know. I felt very, like my, my older son has a lot of issues in secondary school. He has headaches every day. He's dizzy. He's asthma. And we were told, well, if he doesn't wear a visor, it's basically no visor, no school, yeah. you know, or a mask. Yeah. And like he comes, I have to give him paracetamol a few times a week because he has headaches when he comes in the door. And he's so dizzy or, you know, for after school. Like. You mean the risk assessment should have included as to whether or not some children were even capable yeah. of wearing a mask? Yeah, exactly. And it was never done. So, so, so the point being made then at the school gates was the risk assessment was unfair on children who would struggle yes, with it. Yes, definitely. Yeah, they were, uh, my kids were segregated against Neil as well. My primary school kids were segregated in the classroom every day. Right. In what sense? At the back, is it? Um, they're sat alone. They're not allowed to take part in nature walks. They're not allowed to take part in art classes. They're on their own. Okay. And you wouldn't put that down as being beneficial to the common good, no? Would you put an eight-year-old on their own for the common good, Neil? Would you not think it's wrong? Uh, I haven't been in that scenario, so I'm only... Would you not think when your child comes in the door from school crying every day, saying, why am I on my own? Is there something wrong with me? Because I have breathing issues and I have speech issues that I should be sat on my own in an art class when the rest of the class can take part in it? When you put it to me like that, to be absolutely honest, no, I would not be happy with that. You wouldn't treat a dog like that, you know? Yeah, I know, I know. Did you contemplate keeping them out of school? I did. I, I wish I could. Yeah, if I had the patience for teaching, I, I certainly know, would. I so yeah. I, I get the impression then that if you'd had the time or the inclination, you might have been protesting outside the school yourself. Um, I'd be a bit embarrassed, I think, to be honest, outside my own area, I think. But I'd you would be, be in support. you would, would think. Yeah, okay. But yeah. you would be in support of their narrative, though. I would, yeah, I would. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, You must be yeah. relieved with the knowledge then that hopefully by Monday that will all be the past and your children my kids will be... Are, my kids are actually tuned into the news for the last couple of days because they are waiting. The anticipation is just unbelievable. I think we'll be actually having a party, Neil, when this is all over because we've gone through hell and back with the kids trying to get them to school every day. It's been horrendous. Have they just not wanted you know? to go? No, we've had crying matches. We've had the house broken up every morning. And um, my son had had an asthma attack there Christmas week over wearing a mask. It, it's been horrific, you know. It's important it's that you horrible. come on air and share that story, actually, because, of course, there are two sides to every discussion. But at least from Monday, it will be inclusion thanks for them, Lord. not exclusion. Yeah, thankfully, yeah. Thanks, you know. Gillian. Cheers. Thank thanks you. for taking the call. Okay, so you got to look at it, actually, from the point of view of the parents and the children who, as Gillian described, some just can't and they're excluded um, from everything in, in school, really, if you like. Um, Sasha, good morning. Good morning, you. Okay, now, another school that had protesters. Primary school, is it? St. Joseph's? Primary school, yeah. St. Joseph's on the Mardag, about a month ago. Did you witness it? I did, yeah. Um, 
literally, I did think actually they were a bit aggressive in the way they handled out the leaflets. We are parked up and they knocked on every single window and then they pressed the leaflet up against the window. So I didn't know what the leaflet was for, so I just rolled it down and took it. And she did try to engage with me about what she was doing, but when I spotted what the leaflet was about, I just said, look, I'm not interested in that. Um, I do believe it was wrong. They then stood outside the school. They did hand the leaflets, or tried to hand the leaflet into every single adult's hand. But to be fair, I did not see them trying to engage with children or trying to force them into children's hands. It was the adults they were targeting. Okay, and that was the point that was made by Ross a while ago, that no child was handed or attempted to hand a leaflet yesterday well, in that's what Look, that's what I saw months ago. Um, I still think it was wrong of them to be outside the school. It is, it is up to the parents what they decide to do in that circumstance, vaccinating or masks. I'm not happy with my child wearing a mask, but I definitely agree that for the greater good, that they should wear it just in case they do have... It's all very well you know, for you and me health. to say that. I don't have children in primary school, nor secondary school, but Gillian yeah. has kids in primary school, and he's... Well, th- so do I. <laughs> so no, do but I. her child has asthma and has panic attacks so and asthma mine, attacks. mine has asthma. He has Asperger's, um, so that was very, very difficult oh, for him right. wearing a mask. It would be difficult. Yeah, it yeah, would. Yeah, it is. Um, and if he has a cough or anything, of course I would be doing the antigen test. But I would keep them at home for that day or two um, because I know that there are parents inside the school who are minding their parents and who also have children in the class that are not physically, you know, maybe as robust as my son, mm. even though he has issues. Uh, but no, of course, I'm not happy. I'd be thrilled if they, if they give up in the masks, um, you know, for the next few weeks. But I will follow the protocols in place and I'll do it for my family and my friends. Yeah, well, if it meet tomorrow, then they'll make a decision on it that surely, be to God, will come into effect first day back to school next Monday. You know, yeah. I mean, why, why wait around? Yeah, they're on midterm. Yeah. Yeah. And tell me, you didn't say it to any of the protesters that you weren't happy with their presence there, did you? No, no. I didn't. Okay. You know, I just didn't want to get... I didn't Involved. want to draw them on me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the lady who knocked on the window and gave me the leaflet... I told her no, that that I wasn't interested in it, etc. And then she did, she walked off. But they were gathered outside the school, even after knocking at every window. Um, I just didn't like their stance, and I didn't want to engage. I didn't want to get into an argument with them. I mean, I just didn't, I didn't agree with them outside the school. Okay, thanks for that. Much obliged you for taking the call. Thank you, Sasha. Have a good day. Text 0868 on another form of protest yesterday at Dunn's. Of course, we had pig farmers and poultry farmers there. They would have met with uh, Margaret Heffernan last night. I don't know how that meeting went with Margaret Heffernan as to uh, whether Dunn's are going to give them a bit more love in the money department. It's all great with the farmers getting the meeting with Dunn's, but there's only one question. Who's going to bear the impact of this if Dunn's increase the price for farmers? The answer is the already cash-stripped customer. Because Dunn's, nor any supermarket chain, they will not take the hit. They will pass it on, says Brian. You're right on the money there. I mean, no matter what way you um, skin this one or roast this chicken, uh, it means that the price of the chicken will go up. Farmers want people to back them because farmers want Dunn's to charge customers extra. Are they for real? People are paying enough as it is, says Anthony. Well... I wonder, do we actually pay enough for a chicken, Anthony, when you think about it, when you just sit down and think of it? Certainly the battery ones, anyway, I'm thinking that probably not. Just a text at work, shocking the customers are giving farmers grief, typical of the New Ireland we live in, just because they can't get in 
Yeah, that was problems at the car park yesterday. People trying to get in and out because the tractors apparently uh, made it very difficult for people to get in and park. Shops sell chickens at a loss. Most people who buy them buy other items when they're in there. So thank you for those. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now on the new number 0818104106. Yes, indeed. Um, I was looking at uh, hospital trolley numbers this morning because it was making the newspapers and uh, there was some text on this from yesterday's program. We were talking about hospital overcrowding. And the amounts of people that were actually, I think the number that I mentioned this morning was um, 81, I think. Um, uh, there's, I think that was the, the number I gave out this morning on, um, I suppose it would be on trolleys and on chairs inside the A&E. Garod says, I've been watching trolley numbers almost every day for about three months now. We've consistently been down almost every day on 2019. We're down on 2018. We're down on 2017 and we're down on 2016. And if not down, then on par for the most part. But only now you've decided to run a story on it. For the record, it's only a difference of six on 2018, the comparable numbers. Um, I I don't know. I mean, you said down, but like you don't include 20 or 21 there uh, because of COVID. They probably would have been down as well, I would imagine. Um, Siobhan said, okay, so that that we know, but I'm only giving you the stat from yesterday. Um, The reason I ran anything yesterday was because the HSC had come out and said, listen, if possible at all, there are alternative routes than just going to A&E, like your doctor, uh, like, for instance, South Doc, like to the orthopedic urgent care, things like that. Siobhan says, we are inviting more people into this land that can't look after the people already here. I hope before I, I hope they're telling these people, these poor people, what they're coming to, and what's before them, because it's not the sunny uplands of Nirvana, with regards to health here, says Siobhan. And one final one on that, Emma says, they say to consider all available options, as you say, before going to the A and E. Yeah, that's that's what they said yesterday. Like what? Waiting years on never-ending waiting lists, dying on those never-ending waiting lists. Those are the available options, I suppose. In 2000, there were 23,334 hospital beds in Ireland. That dropped to 21,789 in 2008. A year later, the year of the swine flu pandemic, the number of beds dropped again to 12,813. Check that out. From 23,000 to 12,000. In 2012, there were 11,692 It did increase in 2019 and has barely improved since then, despite the population increase. Maybe uh, professors like Connor DC can start pointing at the disgrace of a government we have instead of begrudging people struggling to get treatment in a system run by overpaid CEOs that couldn't care less if patients drop dead in front of them. It's awful up there. My dad is up there for the last few weeks and he said the nurses are under so much pressure in there. They're doing the very best they can, uh, but can only do so much, said Emma. Thanks for that. You've heard first-hand experience, of course, of your dad's situation in there. But you know how you say they're doing their best and there's only so much they can do and they're under pressure. I think you could say that for all of the medics, all of the frontline medics, and maybe all of the staff full stop. I mean, it's got to be frustrating for medics whose only interest really is is in, in saving lives and, and making people well again. Um, and I'm quite sure that it must be the case that many of those, uh, whether it's the consultants or the surgeons or, you know, 
doctors and maybe nurses organized, but many of the individuals, I'm sure that they do make their voices heard to whoever will listen to them. So I'm not sure that pointing your finger at them is as fair as you may think it is. Um, I don't think that they're pointing their fingers um, or in any way, you know, begrudging people. Uh, they're just telling it as it is. It's the HSC system. It's actually the CEOs are telling you. You know, think twice about going to the A&E. Anyway, text 0868104106 on that one. Geraldine standing by. First up, Tom, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? a very different impression now. Whether the process should be at schools or not is one thing. But I'm getting an awful lot of people saying they were quite polite. Yeah, they were. And that's why I was shocked there this morning, Neil, to to hear the way the conversation was going about them. Like, to be honest, you, you were kind of making them out like they were hiding behind walls waiting for kids to come out of schools by the way no, you were talking. I was reading like out texts from people who said the children were upset, crying, having to walk on, on, on the roads and, uh, you know, being handed flyers and leaflets. That's, that's the kind of impression I got well, by Neil, the Well, Neil, they were at my kid's school maybe two weeks ago. Um, there was a group of maybe six or eight of them. Uh, when they came up, they were talking to parents. Um, there was two of them over by the school gate, and, and other parents were letting them know their feelings. But as soon as the gate opened, the kids came out. Like, not once were they trying to hand children flyers. They're there to try and educate the parents from what I've seen on the flyer. Okay. You know, there's a lot of stuff on that flyer that you have never spoken about. Just because it comes from someone that isn't related to anybody in RTE doesn't mean that it's not correct. Like you're constantly reading off the same script for the last I, I, two yes, years. I asked for a copy of the flyer this morning, first thing, and I was sent one that I just couldn't read. I wanted to see the flyer. I'm happy to see one if I can. Yeah, well, I'm sure, Ra- I'm sure Ross will we'll get you, we'll get a flyer over to you or get you one email to you. But like the way that you were on this morning about children leaving the schools crying, and no, no I can only speak for the school that my kids go to. And there was But hold on a second. I mean, if I had an agenda, you wouldn't be on the air, right? If I had an agenda, well, if I had an agenda, no, Tom, a second, hang on a second. If I had an agenda, you wouldn't be on the air. If I had an agenda, none of the positive texts that are read out about the protesters would ever have been read out. Do you accept that? I have no agenda. I do. All right. And can I say something, Joni? Do you remember the last time I was on here with you? Was in October 2020. When I said to you about different things that were going to happen last year, and I was labeled a conspiracy terrorist on your show. Now, I have texted you in many times since then. I used to be on with you nearly once every fortnight before that about all different topics. Yeah. I used to love coming on for a chat with yeah. you. After that day, there was a couple of people texting saying, oh, Tom should have his own radio show yeah. because I was speaking facts to you. Yeah. I told you everything that was going to happen last year. You and others, they me conspiracy theorists. I've been texting and, e- and emailing the show since and not a dicky bird that I hear back. So don't talk to me about it. Well, hold on a second. Were your texts read out? No, no text was read out. Not since that day that you had me on in October 2020 for about, we, was on the, we were on the phone for about 25 <laughs> minutes talking about things. You left me chat away. You said that some of the stuff I was saying was far off. Hold there, on a right? second, because I don't, I don't want you to buy into another no. conspiracy, even oh, if there no, was a first conspiracy. Con- There's nothing here to see. I mean, I read out as many texts as I can. I can get on my mother's soul buried in St. Michael's. There is nothing at all going on to keep your texts or your comments off the air. There just isn't. Neil, I, I, I mean, have, I would, I I would hang up my you, headphones if I was doing stuff like that. I have sent you the world of information from other experts about different states opening up, about the effects that masks are having on children. I have sent you the world of it in the last 18 months, and not once did I even get a reply of an email back to say it would even be looked at. 
every single day it's the same thing. It's, it's not just you, it's all radio stations. No, man, it's just, it could, be a, it could be a case if I get swamped with paperwork or the team do. You can't get to everything. I can show you stacks of stuff that never gets to air. That's why I'm constantly trying to drive back to texts and to emails and get calls on the air. I can't do everything. But if there was yeah, an issue with you, you wouldn't even be on the air now. Well, Neil, it's not the case. As I said, eight, 18 months ago, there's many, many research, more, lots of more research out there that has come out in the last two years, but not yourselves or RT or anyone. But you're here, don't speak, you're here you now. Don't speak like, about it. I am here now, but you don't speak I, about oh, it. Michael man, McNamara, Michael McNamara had a quote up yesterday about the laws and masks in shops and schools. Neffet kept mask- masks to get more kids vaccinated, but that was always going to be challenging as parents don't rush to get their kids vaccinated and they don't really get sick from it. A government source said, what a failure of a government. I've never once heard you talking about any of those things, Neil. Michael McNamara, Matty McGrath, hey, Tom, the boys belong to Kerry. No, they have I've been, been ta- questioning I've been talking these about, things. I've been talking about masks out the yin-yang, the pros, the cons. Everybody has a voice here. Absolutely. I, d- I just can't accept that. I mean, I've tried to get as many different stories on. I mean, you mightn't have got on as often as you wanted, but that's just unfortunate. You know, that's all Neil, it is. It's not just, it's not, and listen, I'm just saying, Neil, I, I, I've heard very little on any radio station. There seems to be nobody, nobody's real question the narrative. It's one way. These, the, all of these things that the government brought in were did, all guidelines. Hang on a second. We did a load of airtime about um, uh, long COVID. We did an awful lot of conversations with people who were sick after the vaccine, very sick. Long COVID. How come there was no long COVID in 2019 or 2020, There's been long COVID. This is all a new thing now again, this long COVID. Where is all this long COVID coming from? What do you mean? People who had very adverse reactions to the vaccine? Oh, maybe. I don't know. I'm asking. Like, I don't know where this is coming from. I remember when, when this first hit in 2019-20 and we were all in all the shops with not a mask or, or prospects in sight and, and there was no one, there was no places uh, closing down because staff were sick. There, there was more children, Neil, in 2020 out of 137 million like, children in the was, EU. Yeah. Out of 137 million children in the EU, there was more children died of the flu in the Wuhan virus. Mm. There's been studies done on this. Why is that never spoken about in the media? Why is it just a constant, the constant scaremongering? Why, why, yeah. why are you on the air talking about it then? No, because I text in about the lads yeah. that were outside my kids' school. No, but like, no I'm saying, you, you have the opportunity now and have said it. It is being talked about. I can't account for any other radio station. I can only account for a three-hour program in the middle of the morning. So are you, you are, telling me, so, Neil, that that's the media in this country have been fair in the reporting? No, I think that the narrative from RTE was at, at the very best questionable. Big time questionable, but there wasn't many. Like, I, I didn't hear you questioning after a, after a Clareborn came out and had people walk around the side and bubble footballs to do this and to do that. I didn't hear many people questioning all that. Everyone was saying how stupid it was. I did, well, but the, but I, the, I, I, hear, I hear that the show's been dumbed down quite a bit and uh, people are reacting negatively to it. But, you know, I mean... Because I, it's I, been going on for so long, Neil. When we spoke in 2020, you were telling me it'd be over by Christmas. I was telling you it wouldn't be. It's going on for so long. People are sick to the back teeth of it. At the start, it was all about vaccinations for over 60s. Then it you're was trying, but you're criticizing yeah, well, you're criticizing me now for two years ago, trying to stay positive and optimi- optimistic and give people oh. hope. Fair enough. I mean, fair enough. Fair enough. 
No, but there was there was no positivity out there for anyone because it was constant. Like nobody was allowed to question anything. Nobody was allowed. Like RT had the same zero COVID cults on every single day. You know, the ones that hadn't gotten the prediction right since all of this started. The ones that told us if us, this stuff was dropped in January, that Jesus, we're going to see twenty thousand deaths. We're going to see this and that. None of it materialised me from 2019, but we still have the same people telling us all of this information, telling us that kids, that it's rampant in schools. Yes, I know of many kids that have been off schools with a, negative, with a positive antigen test or a positive PCR test. Yeah, I know. But what are they? Do you know that, that we're running cycles of 40, we're running these tests of 45 cycles, and the, the World Health Organization, the CDC themselves said, anything over 35 cycles is criminal. Nobody speaks about that. If we were running 35 to 40 cycle tests, we wouldn't have half the amount of, you know what, you of know, positives we have today. You, you know, know what, really, it's crazy. I suppose what people are happy about, really, is that we're not, we're not talking about it as much anymore. That, that, oh, you know, definitely. That, because that, I think, Neil, they, they were sick of it and they were turning off totally the radio like I was. It. Totally sick of it. And, no, and you, I can, did that. you can't be turning off the radio. Oh, yeah, you were turning it off because you felt that the narrative wasn't fair and balanced. No, Neil, no, no, no. That's not, that is 100% incorrect correct I turned it off because in between every song when this started it was a constant two weeks to flatten the curve do this do that every, like, it was constant it wasn't just on the news so you it don't accept that songs. do you not accept that and I, here we are again like as if we're back in 2020 but do mm-hmm. you not accept that the measures that were put in place um, the laws that were brought in the regulations that were brought in the vaccinations that were brought in the lockdowns everything that it saved lives have you got one bit of evidence to say that? Mate? Because from, from what I've seen, the studies, the lockdowns caused more deaths than they saved. And there's many studies out there on that. Okay. The masks, they have come out and said, one of the biggest studies I've seen was that you have a 6% less chance of catching COVID if you wear a mask, but you also have to be hazmated up. 6% chance. Now, what are, what are these masks doing to children wearing them inside classrooms all day, every day? Well, we got, an example of that that? From, we got an example of that from Gillian and what her son has gone through in primary school. Yeah. And it's been awful. And, and Neil, it's not just ours. It's many, many children around this country. I've spoken to many parents because I've been outspoken about it since the start. I've questioned things. I've, I've put up on my own social media and forwarded things to you of other okay. experts that were not allowed here. You from, didn't but say. Just, somebody's saying here that you said that long COVID is a joke. You didn't call long COVID I didn't a joke. Say, not no. at all. No. I just said, no, where, where, is, is there studies? Is there something like, okay. where, when did this long COVID come about? All That's right, all. Then, when he's okay. questioning okay. things. Okay. Listen, um, feel, very free, much, feel, feel free. Don't be a stranger. I mean, that sincerely. Yeah. Oh, I don't be Neil. I do, I do still be texting and engaging with the show the mornings that I do listen to. All right, thanks like, for as that. As I said, when, when this all started, it was Gap Brooks and the Eagle CDs were back into the car, but I didn't bother <laughs> listening to no more radio, so I didn't. <laughs> and I drove around with a smile on my face. <laughs> Anyone that listens to the Eagles gets my vote anyway. Thanks, Tom. Good man. Cheers. Take care. Thanks, Neil. Yeah, All right, text 0868 Breaking news this morning. I told you the story, or at least Olivia Kelleher told you the story of Don O'Callaghan, who engaged in a 33-year fraud of his dad's pension and his mam's pension and it was uncovered only when the president's bounty was offered to the dead pensioner uh, the money that you get when you turn 100 that was before the courts yesterday he pled guilty to sample charges was back before the courts again this morning uh, Donna Callahan had been claiming the pensions of his dead mother and dead father his father had been claiming for his dead wife previous to that and sentence was handed down this morning in court Donna O'Callaghan got Three and a half years jail. Back after the break. Calling Red FM Studio? Call the new number. 0818 104 106.
You got it. Uh, Geraldine, good morning. Thanks for holding. Good morning, Neil. Have you children in primary school? No, I have one um, in secondary school, Neil, and I'm absolutely overwhelmed to think that the masks are being removed at the moment. I'm delighted, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, need, it needs I, um, to happen, doesn't it? We. This is one of the... Well, it la- does, because I wasn't sure what the reasoning behind the people going around to the schools were. But I take my hat off to them if they're asking what did you learn? Happen. What did you learn then from the protesters or those that were there with leaflets? Well, I'll be honest, if that's what they're about, then I'm delighted, Neil. And I rec- like, I'll say thank you so much, because if it's working, that the masks are being removed at the moment then somebody is doing something right for the children. Mm, do you think that the masks are being removed because of protests outside primary school? Well, I would hope so. No, I think it's more to do with, um, as they say, Neff at Boss's meeting tomorrow to just get rid of one of the last obstacles to returning to normality, I suppose. Because the, um, wave, the wave has passed. I mean, it's still, still here, but... But the wave isn't passing Ah, uh, Well, I mean, you know what I mean. Numbers-wise, it is. You can see the curve and the graph. It's just, just fell off a cliff. Well, if we're down. listening to RT and we're looking at the curve, then they haven't been, so... Well, I can't account for I don't what understand RT why they've even tried to put the math, like, change things in the month that they did, because this is the way I'm looking at it now. The month that they did, right, taking off the restrictions, when, when all of this started, it would have been two years ago, when the... COVID-19 started in March. Yeah, you'd have had, like, in the last two months, I'm just looking at it again now, you could have been somewhere in the region of maybe 30, 32, 34 cases um, coming in, you know, averaging like that, 1,000, I mean. Um, Right now, when you look at maybe the middle of February, you're down to maybe two or three, perhaps four, that kind of thing. 4,100. Well, we have no deaths. 4,100. Well, thankfully, we have no deaths. Well, you do, just on that. So, no, they're doing something right. Yeah, well, well, let's acknowledge those that did die in the last week, 17 people. Oh, I will absolutely. And I feel so sorry for those people whose parents died in that nursing home. Yeah, I know. I think that was horrific. Yeah, I know, I know. It was horrific, Neil. I heard it in the news at 11. It's shocking. Yeah, and I was listening to your own show this morning, and, you know, you were talking about it. Yeah. I have to say, you know what? Yeah, I hope these masks never come back. But Absolutely never come back to be put on our children in school because they have no idea what damage they have done to the children. Yeah. And they have done damage, Neil. Yeah. And not psychologically, just... Psychologically. Psychologically. Yeah. They have done serious damage. And I bet if you went to the schools and asked them how many children are after progressing in the last two years with studies and exams, I bet you'll find a big shock. I understand all of that. I think some of the fury of parents um, had to do with the fact that they were there at all, you know, um, infuriated that their kids were coming out stressed by groups crowding the gates and making it difficult for the kids to come in and out to the car and the kids were in tears. This, these were some of the more negative ones. Now, since then, there's been a lot of positive texts saying that they were quite polite in other schools. But Neil, so- I'm not talking about them at all. I'm talking about exactly our children going into school for the last two years wearing masks nonstop all day long. And they were able to go into discos and wear none. That's where I had a serious issue for my child, still wearing a mask, when they were able to go to discos and not wear any. It was all for one, so one for all. they yeah. removed for that purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they were, yeah, that they were the ones that were left behind in the relaxation. Absolutely. Yeah. So why were they left behind, Neil? Is the question I'm asking. Why were they left behind? Um... It probably had to do with the fact that they were in a classroom together so close for such a long, long period of time and that they could be vectors and spread it. 
meal. They're inside in discos and they're up on top of one another and they're eating one another. Let's call a spade a spade. And they're able to, you know... They are- they are now. You are right. It did change, no, and, come and, on. and we're, you know? people are people are in pubs now in big numbers and late bars and what have you in big numbers. And there's no more COVID. Yeah, certs, and yeah. I just think yeah, the yeah, kids have yeah. been put under enough of yeah. pressure, and it is time to stop. And I'm glad it's stopping. All right. Okay. Appreciate. And that. I hope it never returns to the schools, because you know what? I could be one of their mothers next if that's the case. Going to the schools. That's how strong I feel about it now. You'll be handing out leaflets yourself, okay? I'd go with them now, Neil. Okay, thanks, Geraldine. Thank you. Much All obliged. Right, thanks, Neil. Interesting Bye story now, breaking actually out of Hall Bolan uh, Naval Base. Apparently, the military police went in there last week, according to the examiner, and they conducted an operation at the Naval Base. They were um, testing people for the likes of cannabis and Class A drugs like cocaine. And apparently a do- about a dozen Naval Service personnel have tested positive for drugs. It was a sweep of the headquarters by the military police at Nahal Bolan, apparently. And then they um, randomly selected people for testing. How did they randomly select them? Well, there was a draw based on the first letter of their surnames. Um, and they did, they say, have, um, well, it says a dozen tested positive for um, cannabis and other more serious Class A drugs such as cocaine. And they're not surprised by it, according to military sources. They're not surprised when you consider the context of drug use among younger people in wider society. I mean, it would be daft to think that it would be everywhere, but not in the naval service. You'd wonder what kind of reaction there would be or what kind of a result would be if there was random drug testing in all workplaces. I mean... That would be an eye-opener, wouldn't it? Neil's got a new number. Call him now on 0818 All right, from the Tinder swindler conversations from yesterday, I was going out with a guy one day out of the blue. He asked me to borrow money for a car for us. I can't drive, for starters. So, yeah, he got sent away very quickly, I can tell you. John says, a fool and their money are easily parted. Let that be a lesson to all. Yeah, but I suppose you have to be in the moment and think that you're in love. Uh, Another one here. um, You know, I'm legally separated and I've been on dating sites. I have been on dating websites. I was contacted by a nurse who was on an oil rig in Canada. We were conversing over two weeks when she started tapping me for money. She said she had no money to get off the rig. When I called her out as a scammer, she got very aggressive very quickly and proceeded to block me. The following day, I got a message from another woman, similar circumstances. There must be a network of them sharing information because she contacted me, not the other way around. So that's quite interesting. Others then were picking up on shows like, say, for instance, The Tinder Swindler, The Puppet Master. I tried 15 minutes of it, 20 minutes. I go back again because I clearly haven't given it enough. Um, The Puppet Master on Netflix is even crazier than The Tinder Swindler. It's the same theory but your man in The Puppet Master convinces students he's an MI5 agent in the UK. Imagine there's a lot more to it than that. Finding Anna is another one they're looking forward to seeing. And somebody else suggests, I highly recommend the podcast Sweet Bobby on Spotify. It's the most dramatic and frightening story about catfishing. It's more heartbreaking than the Tinder swindler, says Karen. Uh, Neil, you need to acknowledge that this must be happening to men as well as women. Well, I do. Always. Can I just say, I don't know whether anybody out there watch Belfast? Anybody here seen Belfast? It is triumphant. It's just the greatest film I've seen in years. Kenneth Branagh's masterpiece from Belfast in 1969. 
just as the troubles were kicking off. I mean, it's just one of the most fabulous, beautiful films that I've ever seen. If you've seen it, you've got to agree with me on that one. And if you haven't, you need to watch it. Um, there's a lot of Oscar nominations in there. Katrina Balfe is one of them. Judy Dench stars in it. Jamie Dornan is there. Kieran Hines is just incredible. In fact, Kieran Hines and Judy Dench are superb as the granny and granddad. Katrina Balfe is unreal. Um, and the music is, of course, all Van Morrison's. So it's a fabulous film, uh, Belfast. If you haven't seen it, um, imagine it's still in the cinema. I didn't see it in the cinema, unfortunately. So I say the big screen must be fantastic for something like Belfast. Well worth a watch. Okay, um, before I love you and leave, you got a couple of quick calls on the air here. Just ahead of that, a lot of texts coming back on cluster headaches and indeed on uh, restless leg syndrome. Um, many people are recommending things like Reiki um, or an Indian head massage. Somebody else was talking about the fact that they were a biokinesiologist and suffered from migraines and very bad headaches and it was found to be linked to caffeine. Either way, says Trace, if you want to pass on my details to Paul, I may be able to help. So there are lots of texts on this. I'll come back to the magnesium. I mentioned that yesterday, but enough of me. William, good morning. Hello, Lee. You also uh, apparently put on a substantial amount of weight. Nothing like, nothing like uh, our caller yesterday put on five stone in four months. Was this because oh. of, was it Lyrica? I was on Lyrica. No, Neil, it did help me, no, at the time. I, I, have, I was diagnosed with that about six years ago. You have neural pain. Is that nerve yeah, pain, it's, spine it's pain? it's nerve damage. It's nerve damage. It, that's what it is. Like, I see specialists, a good few specialists over it, and it's just nerve damage, and it's a burning pain, you know? I was listening to one of the chaps who were on, and he said it starts off, you just get a small bit first, and then it gets worse and worse, you know? Did you ever, try, I, did you ever try a weighted blanket? I tried everything, Neil. You, you know, your legs, when you're lying down at night, you'd have to leave the covers off your legs and everything. Oh, for God's sake. Magnesium? But I was with my doctor, Dr. Sheehan, you know him well. John? And John, yeah. And uh, he told me walking was the best thing. So you stopped the Lyrica and took up walking instead, is it? Well, I used to always walk. I, I love walking, but I did extra walking. And that's what helped me. And it's very rarely now I'd have to take one. It was very, very bad. And that's, that didn't happen you know, over 12 months later. That's amazing, isn't it? Because they say that that, and also I'm told that the cluster headaches are at night. Um, you know, it's, it's something that happens when you're lying down, trying to go to sleep, middle of the night, bang, yeah. intense pain. And that chap that you were down there, I can't remember his name, but he was, you know, he had the eye and he's Paul. Oh, he used the water and everything. And Paul, yeah, Paul. He said he had the bombing pain. He described it and, like uh, boiling water being poured into his boiling water with vinegar being poured into his eye for four hour periods. Well, yeah, well, I could I could identify with that deal with the burning of my leg, like someone pouring boiled water over your leg. When it builds up, it starts slow and it, it kind of like bubbles up. You know what I'm trying to say? But the walking made the difference, did it? Huge difference, Neil. Like I'm sitting here now and. I haven't a bit of pain, and at night, very rarely, I do get a small bit now and then now, but as I said, it's not even, I don't even complain about it, you know? Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I'm glad I to hear. Because I was walking, yeah. and, and I does walking, I does about, I suppose I do two or three mile a day, you know, that kind of way. 
Well, it's worked for you. Every and, day. Yeah. And it, it just stopped. And I knew it was going away. Uh, I knew it was going away because I was on three, three lyric a day and I went down to one. Do you know? Yeah. In the space of probably a month, I'd say. And you just take it when it when the pain gets unbearable, is it? What happens now, if it do get bad, and as I said, that's, it didn't happen now for a long time, but the last time it happened, must be over a year ago, I take one, two paracetamol first, and I have an all right, take a lyrica. Okay, thanks for the tips. <coughs> thanks for the tips, William. Look but after the lyrica, uh, before you go, Neil, you see there's all different strengths of that. There's 25 and there's 50, and it's up to 100 is the highest. And like, I, only my opinion, I don't like taking medication, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Were, you then, like, were you on 100? Were you on 100 milligrams? No, I didn't go up to that. I went gotcha. up to 50, 50 milligrams now, three right. times a day. Okay, okay. But like, I'd, I'd advise anyone, there's, like, I see the specialist and two specialists actually, and they told me, that is, it's 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 connected to the mind, you know. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. It's, that's right. It's a, it's in the mind, like, and um, they said, you know, when you're occupied and stuff, and you're doing things like walking, you know, it um, and it works like when you're occupied, it don't matter. It's like when you're lying down in bed or you're sitting on that's the chair. That's comes upon you. You gotta keep that's moving. Get when active. it happens, yeah, like, yeah. okay. Like I was looking up. I did a lot of looking up, Neil. I know, I know. I nearly but. You know, and, and stuff about it. There's over 11 million people in the world suffers with that. Restless leg. It's, it's, it's not a fair name, really. It's a lot worse than a restless leg. I always think a restless leg is kind of a jumpy leg, like, but it's actually that's a pain. Right, that's it's, right. That's when I heard the two. I said, it's a restless I, like leg. I got, when I heard the two, when I, when I was diagnosed my first time, do you know what it does everything? You get a brain scan. I know, you no, I know. Eat. Just the term "restless leg" doesn't do justice to people who are suffering. You know, it's like that's right. If you like on the phone, Neil, if you you there's women, men, they all have their experience up about it. You know, yeah. There was one girl. She went and before she was diagnosed, they put her on antidepressants. They thought she was getting depressed. You know, but you would get depressed from it, and you would yeah, get depressed from just You know, they, it's just the, the pain is so unbearing. But you think. I can't live my life like this. This is just intolerable. But I can tell you, you know, there's loads of people that went into the walking with us. All right, walking. And stuff like that. Walking and saved great, your life. Fair play. It, it's, it's, it, 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 it actually do work, because I'm a proof of it. I you had, are I indeed. Had, I had it for over five years. Keep on walking back to happiness, William. Thanks for taking the call. Cheers. Take and care. Neil, I, I have no agenda, no, that's the truth. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Of course All you right, don't. Bye. Take care, Ken. Thanks bye for sharing. Bye. Any tips, gratefully welcomed. Um, the GoFundMe that I referenced there in my conversation with Laura Swan's Wish to Live Longer, a very touching conversation with me earlier on. When we were chatting, it was just under 32,000 at the, well, about an hour and a half ago. It has now gone to just under 41,000. It now stands at 40,852. She needs to get to 90,000 for six months treatment that literally will allow her to fulfill her wish to live longer for herself and her young children. So the GoFundMe.com support Laura Swan's wish to live longer if you want to help. And it is steadily, it's rapidly, it's rapidly climbing. 
And you know what? It's all about you guys. It really is. Now, I chatted with Ross LaHive earlier on. I had to stop the phone call because we're getting into, we were getting into areas of defamation and libel against individuals. So I'm obliged to stop the phone call at that point. But he did come back with it, a statement. He said, and this is regarding um, the uh, protests outside primary schools. We have had many more positive experiences with parents than negative. It's ridiculous to suggest the children are scared. We think the teachers are actually more afraid of the parents finding out about the risk assessment, the HICWA report and NEFIT disregarding uh, the official scientific advice. We have experienced more threats come our way and have never threatened any individual, let alone a child. We are there to provide vital information that the parents won't get from the school, the government or the media. And that's a response um, or at least an updated statement from Ross Lehigh, one of those protesters, certainly at uh, Rushbrook School yesterday and probably others. Our lines will stay open. You can text 0868104106, email neil at redfm.ie. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.